Welcome to It Can Be Said. My name is All Calling, and we enjoy as always by the one, the only Dr. Luke, uh, Dr. Luke Middup. Hello, Luke. Are you are you looking forward to talking about for Love and Thunder? Um, because not been much to talk about politics. Uh, yeah, I, I, I really don't know how we're gonna. I really don't know how we're gonna get a podcast done out of this. It's so little has been going on in the world. But excitingly, Will Simon's back. Yes, Simon, Simon's back from holiday. And Simon, if if we want to do a podcast next week, where will you be? I know I sound like such an awful human being. I, I well, actually, I will be back in the UK this time next week. We're recording this on Friday evening, but yeah, um, I I am going away again um, on Sunday. See, see, um, see, Simon, it's okay. How could, how could you, Simon? You know, be out there living your best life when we've got politics to discuss. See, I I think the bigger issue is. All that complaining from Simon about Brexit. But it turns out he's got complete freedom of movement to go to the EU. Yeah. What, what was the big deal, Simon? I, I don't know, to be honest. I was I was making a, clearly making a fuss over nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. Less, yes, everybody. We have a lot to talk about. And it all begins with the main character of the universe. One... Alexander Boris de Fethel Johnson. Simon, actually, actually, well, before we get on to to Boris, can I just get can I just get something off my chest? Oh so yes. Um, right. So, as well as I'm sure we'll talk about later on in the podcast, Rishi Sunak has launched his bid to be what? The, There's a vacancy. Yeah, there is a vacancy. We'll get to that. We'll get spoilers, to that. Luke. I know, I know, I know. I'm stepping on the lead. I'm stepping on the lead. Um, so Richard Sunak has launched his campaign um, to be the next leader of the Conservative Party. And one of the MPs who has been sort of very early to support him is the MP, MP for Blackpool South, um, Paul Maynard. It must, um, it must be Blackpool South because the other Blackpool seat yeah, Blackpool, is... Yeah, Blackpool North is Scott Benton and the less yeah. anybody talks about Scott Benton, the, the better. Former, not, um, former not, University of Nottingham alum. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, well, we're sorry. We're sorry, the rest of the world. We really are. I, I mean, it, it, is, it is notable that I, uh, all the people... I mean, even, even Peter Bone has been given a government job and it's still Benton <laughs> sitting on the back benches. <laughs> I just yeah, and so anyway, one of Rishi Sunak's early backers is Paul Maynard, who has that experience as a junior minister and a whip. Um, and several people. I mean, there are a couple of things that are funny about Paul Maynard. There, 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 there are things that are genuinely funny about Paul Maynard's tweet. Um, principally that he didn't take out the header, telling him that's what he should tweet, but um. <laughs> A number of people have commented on the photo he posted of himself. And there have been a lot of jokes about Paul Maynard looking startled. He doesn't look startled. Paul Maynard is one of the first MPs elected to the House of Commons with cerebral palsy, the disability that in our own ways me and Simon both have. And the reason he looks like that is because something has gone into spasm that he had no control over. And so he looks a little bit startled. And the number of people who have made really ignorant comments about this on um, Twitter um, is really, really, I wouldn't say it's upsetting, um, but it does make me kind of despair because 
you would not, it would not be, ex- <laughs> admittedly, people may not recognize that Paul Maynard has cerebral palsy because Paul Maynard isn't a wheelchair user, you know, he can walk, it's to some extent a slightly hidden disability, but people are making comments that you would never get away with making towards any other minority. And it is, I think it's, it's, it is a mark of the social ignorance surrounding disability that even though I pointed this out to Dan Hodges and several other journalists, none of them have apologized. Actually, there was one person I pointed this out to. Um, she's not a journalist. She was just a regular Twitter user, as far as I can tell, who has apologized. And I appreciate that. So whoever you are, you are good people. Yeah, I know. I think telling I, that Dan Hodges, Rachel Wentworth, and somebody else that I pointed this out to haven't apologised or even commented on it. I think that just before I bring Simon in, like I, you know, I've been delivering training all day about, and part of the training is unconscious bias. Yeah, and various other things. And one of the things I always say in my training is, hey, look, you know, not everybody is used to diversity, and certainly nobody is used to the full spectrum of diversity. You no, know, there will be people who don't know somebody with CP, who don't know the details of CP, and would, would not realise that is what is going on, and so wouldn't put two and two together. So this is why it's probably just better not to make fun of how people look in photos, because there might be an issue underlying it. But if, you're, if it's explained to you why your joke is in, is in particularly poor taste... You should have the good humour to say, oh, sorry, I've made a mistake. Yeah. By the way, um, by the way, Ed, Ed this, is, this goes back to very early on in Paul Maynard's career after he was elected in 2010, but Ed Balls had to apologise for, had to apologise to him um, for sort of, for sort of mocking, for, for, for basically sort of mocking his, um, his speech in the House of Commons um, at one point, because yeah, Ed Balls didn't realise he had a disability. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's a really interesting. Yeah, you know, I agree, obviously, with everything that Luke has said, and this is not. You know, it's, this isn't. I think it's really it's a it's a tale as much as anything else that we don't that we don't pay attention to this. I mean, it's an odd thing as someone with a disability. I'm not sure I would have picked up on it, which is itself says something about the sort of broad nature of disability that you can have you could call the disability i have cp but it doesn't have that feature um and so yeah this is why just i always find i think disability sort of liberation and and and, uh, and disability rights are so complicated because actually um it is such a diversity of um, situations i mean and it's got to be you know it's worth remembering you know dan hodges is someone who himself has a disability um ed balls who was mentioned um having been called out in the past has has someone who who has struggled with a stammer over the years you know um this is this is the problem of you know the lack of cultural relevance of people not just like disabled people as a community oh good we found a guy in a wheelchair we've got someone who walks you know with a a white stick we've got someone who's got a hearing impairment it's like you have to have a wide range of people because disability covers 
a very wide range of different things. And until a large num a large number of disabled people are, you know, salient within the culture, these kind of and I I don't believe that I genuinely don't believe that most of the people who've made any jokes at the expense of Paul Maynard and, and although and I agree with Will, you know, that it's probably just not a good idea to make fun of how people look anyway. Um, I don't think they've done it because they are trying to be ableist or, or trying to be discriminatory. But we are so we have so little cultural context for this because we don't have enough disabled people in culture uh, that we ignore and that and uh, that we just miss this stuff uh, so much. And I mean, I, I mean, if it was if it was just if it was just some somebody on Twitter that had pointed this out. I wouldn't I don't think it would bother me as much. But the fact that Rachel Wentworth and Dan Hodges, who are both, you know, experienced political journalists, and Paul Maynard, Paul Maynard hasn't been, you know, he didn't just fall off the back of a turnip truck. He's not been in any senior post, but he's been an MP since 2010. And he's been, you know, you know, if you go on because Frankly, Paul, I wouldn't say Paul Maynard is a hero of mine, but he's somebody you know I admire for for obvious reasons. Um, you know, he's been perfectly vocal in talking about his disability, and it, it just depresses me. The people who sort of are inside the Westminster bubble just haven't registered the fact. I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't get, you wouldn't, you wouldn't get them making the same tweet about Rob Halford. Example because no. he, he uses a cane to walk. Um, so yeah, it's just it like it's not the random it's not the random people that are just you know follow politics pointing this out that bother me. It's the fact that two senior political journalists don't know this. No, no I, I think you're bothers. absolutely right. I think you're absolutely yeah. right, Luke. And I am so going to see it as this example and add it to my training because I think it's a great it's a great yeah. example. Yeah. Of, I mean, I, I, I'm not a huge fan of unconscious fires. Actually, I don't. This is actually quite a, a funny story. So, at the beginning of this training, which is billed as in, <laughs> inclusion and un, and unconscious bias, it's like it's like the, the EDI day of a management training course for aspiring leaders. We go around and say, "What does everybody want to get out of this training session?" And I'm honest to God half of the people there said I'm looking forward to learning more about about my unconscious biases and my argument is is that you know the, you know the bits of a conscious bias theory or implicit bias theory that say that they can get you to take a test a test to discover your unconscious biases is complete snake oil like we have unconscious biases but the whole point is they're unconscious now the idea that I as a non-psychologist can can dig them out of you. It's just not going to happen. What I can do is tell you how to avoid them, um, which is actually actually very based on stuff that Stephen Bush has said on Twitter, which I agree with, which is, you know, you go and make you go and make decisions based on on evidence according to clear and consistent criteria and procedures. That you know, just like not assuming is how you defeat unconscious bias. And so I did have to do that thing of, oh, yeah, sorry, guys. I'm not actually going to tell you um, what your unconscious biases are. Hope you're not too mad. Um, do one other thing on that one. Oh, so sorry. So the point I'm going to make is 
what I often call it is accidental discrimination. Yeah. Because actually, like someone was saying, it, it is a mistake. You know, they, they, they aren't, they're being, they, they're, being, they're being careless, they're being ignorant, but they don't, they, I don't think they'd have done that if they knew. No. Um, well, but like, this is thing, like, if you're corrected, you should, you should take the correction in good humor and actually amend your behavior. Can I just say another thing? Is it me? It was like now 2010 is officially far away that an MP who was elected in 2010 has been an MP for a long time. And isn't that just another sign of the inevitability of aging? Yeah, it is, it is the inevitability that we are all subject to the laws of entropy and, you know, we are all hurtling towards the grave. Talking of ending up in a fatal demise curse of the fatal death to to quote (laughs) Doctor Who Boris Johnson Simon how's his week been? It's been exciting Uh, it's been dramatic Uh, he won't have to worry about the wide range of issues and challenges I mean I don't know how Boris Johnson's week's been I, I am profoundly confused i i found the week laughing uh being uncertain i mean being uncertain of who the hell anybody was i mean the this is i think probably and i mean there are obviously competitions and they are competitions in the last six seven years i think this is the most dramatic week in british politics that i can really remember I I would strongly agree with that. I can't think of anything that comes I mean, close. Brexit the week the week of Brexit simply because you know on balance the pe- the Brexit result itself was a so significant and b probably book at least by the bookies unexpected. But like I remember Monday was it it was Tuesday night wasn't it that Javid and Sunak resigned? Yeah. Uh, nobody. I mean even you know. The, 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 the rumour that was coming from Harry Cole, who, you know, although he basically exists to, you know, print Boris Johnson's press releases, he does it very well, um, was that uh, there were a couple of potential resignations of one of them was Will Quince, who isn't really a minister. He's just a minor character from Shakespeare uh, and some other non-cabinet position. And I literally, I remember I left the office and I, I, I went downstairs to get a bus to, to go to a pub to, you know, do some quizzing inevitably. And in the time that it took me to go from the, you know, the fourth floor where my office is to the ground floor where I, you know, could check my mobile data, you know, the health secretary had resigned and then about two minutes later, the chancellor of the exchequer. These, it did seem to be completely, you know, at least from the outside, from an outsider's perspective, it did feel completely out of the blue. Well, I, I, I think the thing for me is, and this, this is quite a funny story. So on Wednesday, you, Luke, like some sort of fool, decided to do some work. Like you turned the TV off so you yeah, could concentrate. Well, I, I, I had a paper that was due. <laughs> so like. There's, not, there's nothing that concentrates the minds more than a deadline. You should know this well. <laughs> so, you, I'd been kind of going a bit crazy on Twitter because, like, to me, maybe there are weeks that come up to how dramatic this is, but from, like, I would say from PMQs on Wednesday, 
to when he actually goes. That that twenty five hours is the strangest period. And it, you can actually go a bit beforehand. If you, even if you go to from when Sunak and Javid resign, that twenty four to thirty six hour period. That is the craziest I've ever seen. But like the the, the like the dark star, the center, the eye of the storm of craziness was what? Four, three, four o'clock to about five fifteen. because uh, that's when that's when you have the liaison committee. You no, know, you like A, he turns up, something that like he's rescheduled on numerous occasions because he doesn't like doing it which is what when people realised he was going to actually try and tough this out. Then you have ministers resigning whilst he's speaking at the liaison committee, and Johnson doesn't know this. You have the BBC News, BBC News and Sky News talking about how a, a senior delegation of cabinet ministers is in Downing Street, ready to tell Boris Johnson that he should resign, including the guy he's just appointed as Chancellor and the woman he's just appointed as Education Secretary. And, like, literally, the you can see the people going into Downing Street. So we know they're there. We've seen them going there. Boris Johnson doesn't know this because he's busy talking to the liaison committee and he can't look at his phone. And then you have the... the, the, the some of the questions, like, you know, the liaison committee can be a bit dry at times, but it really wasn't this time. Like, you had you had Chris Bryant and Caroline Noakes really going after uh, Johnson over the Pincher affair. You have Bernard Jenkins and somebody else, who, I think it was William Rag, really pushing him about the Lasselle. Is it Lasselle or the Lassels? Lassels. Lassels. The Lassels <laughs> principles in terms of when... Um, the Queen can and cannot uh, deny a request for a dissolution. Like this was this was politics, like not like not fa- on both fast forward speed and acid all at the same time. And so, like, yeah, like, and I mean, it's t- it's telling that Bernard Jenkins and uh, and William Rag were turning on because I mean they are they are like they are like they they are like the hard the you know the molten core of the ERG. You know, they are about as far to the right as you get in the contemporary conservative party. But the thing I was just going to say, Luke, is like you had turned your computer back on and you had seen me basically. Oh, my God, this is amazing. I I cannot believe this is happening. What the fuck is going on? Like, just, you know, I think at one point I even did an all caps tweet, you know, in the middle of the day. And you're like, steady on with Whoa, then, whoa, whoa, what's, what's going on? But then, as as I actually explained to you, everything that happened in, the, in like, literally like a 17-minute period, by the end of it, you were like a wreck as well. Yeah, but I tell you what, that paper got done. <laughs> and it never, it never would have got done if I'd kept my phone. But I, I mean, Luke, what, what do you... What what do you make of this? Well, I mean, I, mean, I think I think I think Stephen, our friend Stephen Bush, ding, and a couple of tweets summed this up very nicely. Um, when just after Michael Gove, 
<laughs> Michael Gove had been fired. He tweeted, I'm really not sure I'm not in a coma. <laughs> and the second one was, I've got to go on news night in a bit. And I'm really worried. I'm, I'm probably paraphrasing, but I'm really worried. I'm just going to sit there and laugh. <laughs> it is, it is, it is. It is, it is genuinely remarkable that the resignation of the Welsh Secretary, now I get it's the Welsh Secretary, but still, it's a member of the Cabinet. And he was, has won two European Cups. <laughs> was like, a compl- was basically a sort of parting, was like, and in other news, you know, the bit would normally be um, given to skateboarding cats. It, you know, it is... Properly, it has been a properly frantic week. I mean, in the end, I mean, you know, you know, it's going well when even the BBC, who are quite a bit more sober than Sky News in many ways, go, "Oh fuck it, we're just going to put a resignation counter up on the screen just just so that everyone knows what the hell is going on." You know, like so, I think it was the FT did the tracker of resignations, and it's like, do you remember when? during the pandemic very early in the pandemic where you had like the first quote-unquote lockdown because america didn't really have a lockdown but like the first post-lockdown jobless figures and the new york times had that front page where you have like the the job the jobless figures going back decades and then it's just a straight line yeah um, like but like that is eventually what that tracker ended up as because what they were doing is they were tracking uh, most uh, ministerial resignations outside of reshuffles. And like Johnson went from being quite a bit behind Theresa May to being quite a bit ahead of her in about one day. Like it was absolutely absurd. Um, I mean, it was just like, there, was, there are so many things that, are just, that were just out of this world crazy. Like to give you an example, when Brandon Lewis was signed as Northern Ireland secretary, the, no, days before the, the 12th of July, which is not exactly um, um, ideal when it comes to Northern Ireland. When he resigned, the government had left two ministers that could sign uh, security clearances, um, like security requests, one of whom was Liz Truss, who was in Indonesia. Like... <laughs> They were having to pull legislation because they had no ministers to actually present it to the to the bill committees. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we me and Will talked about the Pincher scandal on the last podcast, but I'd be interested to hear from well, I'd be interested to hear from both of you. Why do you think that was the breaking point? Because it clearly was. I mean, why? Why do you think that's the point at which, like, the final, you know, the final sort of threads holding this whole thing together snap? So, do you want to go first, Simon? Yeah, I, 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 it feels, it feels to me that the blatancy of the the untruth that was spoken. There we are. I, I, John Rental will be happy now. I've not used the word lie. Um, were were just so obvious. It was just like, and it was so, and the and the excuse, you know, like, oh, I'm very sorry that my but my client, you know, basically forgot forgot that he was told that, you know, it, it was. I I think at some point 
conservative ministers just went, A, I don't like this guy isn't worth looking stupid for. But B, they just got tired of looking stupid. And I, I think there is also some, you know, I, I think there, the, the kind of profound unpleasantness that Chris Pincher, you know, has been accused of in the Carlton Club, has carried out in the past, does is something that people, a lot, a lot of people, a lot of conservative MPs, really, really don't, really don't want to stand for. They really do see that as beyond that as beyond the pale, and defending that as beyond the pale. And they ended up looking, ended up being made to look really stupid by government minute by government that they already thought was basically on borrowed time. You know, it was not. There was not. You know, this this government has been on borrowed time since Partygate, probably certainly the Sue Gray report. You know, it, it, they knew that, and they still basically demanded of, you know smart people you've got to go out and give a line that just made you look utterly ridiculous you know it was it was up there with the, the excuse a five-year-old would make it make it you know standing next standing next to a spilled drink you know it just felt it just I think that's it I think it just they knew that they could do this and 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 they just they just reached the end of their tether I think what I'd, I'd add to that is I think a lot of Tory MPs were deeply unhappy what happened to, to Neil Parrish. And I think one of the things as well with this government is it was seen as a government that played favourites. So, like, the fact that Pincher was, um, didn't, didn't immediately have the whip withdrawn, the fact that he's not been pressured to stand down as an MP, the fact that Johnson was kind of making excuses for him, I think that kind of activated this thing of, Oh, like he he he's just he's just he just prioritizes what's good for his friends and himself rather than what's good for the party. I think I'll add to that. You do have to remember, like obviously the Tiverton and the one I have forgotten, what, what Wakefield. Wakefield. Those by-election results, you know, they feel a bloody lifetime ago, but like you know, they're, they're only two weeks ago. And Oliver Dowden's um, resignation is only two weeks ago. And so I think that kind of alerted people to, oh, no, this, this isn't tenable. This, this guy is gone. I also do think you have to make the point that what Lord Macdonald did is really unusual. Like for, mm. um, for, for a, a, a senior civil servant, and one that, as you, you correct me, Luke, you'll know better than me. But he's not one of those senior civil servants that basically just became a pundit after retirement. He seems no, he, he and seems he's, he's not like he's also not like um, he's not as he's not like uh, Peter Ricketts or Nick McPherson, where like Brexit has turned them Brexit has turned them into quite vocal, um, you know, quite vocal um, anti-Tory, anti-Boris. Yeah, the, the uh, person is the one I was thinking of, to be honest. Yeah. Um, for him to come out and say, no, look, the Prime Minister is lying. I told him, I briefed him about this, um, and it wasn't resolved satisfactorily. Like, for the Prime Minister to be kind of shown up like that by a former civil servant, one that hasn't become a partisan figure, that's really rare as well. 
Um, and, and I and I think it's what like I think as well like I think I mean who knows who knows whether this is true or not. Maybe Boris Johnson actually does just maybe Boris Johnson actually is unfairly traduced on this thing. But I think most conservatives think that there were a load of unexploded landmines about his sex life that just hadn't gone off. And I think just, you know, the thought that we might actually start to have another round of bloodletting this time about sex, um, you know, to do with the stuff with Boris Johnson, you know, like we had obviously what is it, Je- Jennifer... Curry. Curry. I was about to say Jennifer Eclair, and I, that's not right. Um, you know, there's the rumours that, you know, whilst he was stating Carrie Johnson, he was having an affair with um, a violinist. You know, like, I think Tory MPs were like, oh, my God, you know, if, if this becomes, you know, we've had Partygate, we've had all the weird financial stuff, if it then becomes a bloodletting over sex, focus on the prime minister, this could just burn the entire party to the ground. And also, like, you know, kind of go to Simon's point, a recurring issue with this down in street opposition is them taking, is them giving MPs the wrong line to take. And like, and like it is still an open question whether he was lying. Because to me, you know, yes, he could have just lied. When people asked him, you know, did you know? And he just said, no, I didn't until some evidence was presented. And he was like, okay, yes, I did. But like, I wouldn't um, rule out that he is just so forgetful or paid so little attention or is so disorganized that um, he just didn't legitimately didn't recall um, when asked. And it's like, but that's not an excuse because what he should have done is check before sending ministers out to, 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 to tell the people what had happened. Like I was saying to you, Luke, if, if, you know, if I was asked about something at work, you know, did you speak to this person or, you know, around this time on this topic? I wouldn't just trust my, unless I remembered it and say, yes, I definitely did speak to him about it. But I wouldn't, if, if I didn't think I had, I wouldn't trust my memory. I would go back and search my emails and see if there was an email record of me, you know, talking to him or discussing something with him. I no, I would go back and look at my notes and what my notes say. But like this doesn't occur to Boris Johnson because he's a profoundly unserious person. And the idea of sexual harassment just wasn't something he took particularly seriously. Like apparently he was going around saying that it was the fault of Tory MPs because they sort of stopped Pinch to do it. And then you had his pathetic display at the Eleison Committee where he's blaming it on alcohol. And I look, I'm not saying that Westminster doesn't have a drinking problem. It seems like it, it, you know, it, it drinks a lot more than most workplaces, a lot more. But like, as we were saying on the podcast on Tuesday, Luke, um, I am a bisexual man. I have been known to have a sniff to a port or two, and I have <laughs> never gone port at Christmas. I have never gone out and groped another man. I wouldn't do that um, because it's not a right thing to do. And then, like, literally, I think I come. I think it was uh, uh, into Chris Bryant. Like, he he was. It was either Chris or somebody else actually asked him. You know, no. Have you been told about other ministers? 
And Johnson basically was like, well, I don't know. I get told a lot of things about a lot of people. And she's like, what are you doing, man? What's your, think, what should Sorry, go on, yeah, Simon. That's it. Isn't that, that this, I think, you know, it's that classic thing of, you know, every one of the explanations is looks bad. Either he is a liar or he is a dilettante or he's an idiot. And I don't care which of those answers is true. I don't want any of those people running the country and having access to the nuclear codes. And we should we should remember as well, like it wasn't. I don't know if you call it a scandal or not, but like Private Eye was reporting about, you know, some poor civil servant walking in on Kerry Johnson, giving him a blowjob in, in the middle of the working day. So like this sense that there was something iffy. So it's, no, there, there was more to Boris Johnson's sex life that could profoundly embarrass the Tory party. I think it's kind of one of those dark matter um, aspects of this scandal. Yeah. I mean, the, the, I agree, I agree. I agree with everything. I agree with everything you both said. The one thing I would add as well is you kind of run out of the idea that that these problem these problems could be fixed and that sort of Boris Johnson could be could be tamed and controlled and disciplined through and yet another Downing Street operation. We've been through what. At least three or four iterations of different organizational structures in Downing Street, and it makes no difference whatsoever. I, I think this ultimately, is really ultimately Downing Street is a reflection of the incumbent prime minister. I think this is actually a really interesting conundrum with Boris Johnson because, like, he was managed effectively in City Hall, he was a perfectly decent London mayor, not good. But I don't think there's a real argument he's noticeably worse than Sadiq Khan, even though I think Sadiq Khan clearly has many qualities that should make Khan a better mayor, like can easily make Khan a better mayor than Boris Johnson. But like they were able to put that structure in place. And I think part of it is because you know, Lund- the London mayor is the closest to an American-style presidency um, in Britain or Europe outside of, of France. Um, you know, actually, you did have this thing of he could just palm out the various bits of his job to his deputy mayors, and he could do that delegation and then just kind of be this kind of ceremonial figurehead that kind of was, was all vibes, no substance. But I also think the other thing as well is London mayor's not that powerful. Like a London mayor who really tries to impose himself and bully people won't get far because you are a supplicant to the government, the central government, because you need funding from them. You're you're kind of a supplicant to the Boer councils because the Boer councils actually have a lot of power, too much power in my opinion, and you need them to kind of go along with the stuff you want to do. And of course... Boris Johnson didn't want to be London mayor for the rest of his life. He wanted to progress. He wanted to, you know, ideally go on to become prime minister. And so if his advisor said, look, you need to pull up, pull your socks out, otherwise you're going to lose. And then it's curtains for, 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 for Bojo boy. He would actually do it. Well, as when you're prime minister, there's not actually anywhere else to go. Like, this is it. You have made it to the top. 
Um, and that meant, I think it was just much more difficult for people to impose order on him. Um, obviously, you also have the issue of how the, the Downing Street operation would intersect with Parliament. So if Parliament didn't like the Downing Street operation, they would start dripping poison into Boris Johnson's ear about um, you know the problems with his advisors. His advisors are leading him astray. Like I'm not saying Dominic Cummins was particularly good at his role, but like, um, and I think it was right that he was gone, and obviously he should have gone earlier just due to uh, Bar- uh, Bar- Barnyard Castle. Um, but clearly one of the reasons why Johnson got rid of him was because so many Tories had told him that he was no good. Likewise, you know, I, I still maintain that this government entered its death spiral when Michael Gove was moved from the cabinet office. Like, I know a lot of the stuff had happened beforehand, but it did feel like there was some sort of grip to the government whilst Michael Gove was Johnson's work ethic and uh, and brain. But, you know, that, like, but he couldn't bear for Michael Gove to be seen as the real prime minister. So I, I think, and then, of course, you know, the nature of Downing Street, you know, the nature of its offices, the nature of the staff it can command, it's just underpowered as a central office of state. And it can't actually do the role that it, Boris Johnson needed it to do. We're back. We took a, a quick pause just to, for Simon to get some water and for me to listen to the voices in my head or my voices in my headphone, one or the other, or indeed the voices on the soundtrack, if, if my suspicions are indeed correct. Um, oh, man, I mean, I don't know where to... to where to, where to pick up because I think we kind of talked about a lot of the stuff going on but I suppose we should start with the resignations that kind of relit the fire after the kind of the growing unhappiness over Pincher and over the two by-election defeats so you have Javid uh, uh, resign almost immediately after Sunak resign they pinky swear that it was not coordinated and to be honest, the, the resignation statements are so different that they do feel um, um, like they weren't coordinated. Do you want to hear my theory about these resignation statements? Go on. These resignations, I should say. I think it's a bit David Davis, Boris Johnson. In a sense of David Davis was the more loyal of the two key Brexiteers in May's cabinet. Like he liked May, they were contemporaries. I know he was genuinely grateful that she'd brought him back into the camp, or he, she had put him in the cabinet. So, of course, his, you know, due to his own full fault, he never got to be Home Secretary under David Cameron. Um, Trissa Knife interlude there. You, you, you may have heard him uh, uh, scream a little bit. Um, and Boris Johnson clearly wasn't trustworthy, wasn't a contemporary of May. They didn't like each other. They butted heads repeatedly. And, um, but he clearly was, there's clearly a sense Boris Johnson was looking for an excuse to resign. He wasn't happy as foreign. He kind of knew he had to get out before May did something crazy on Brexit. That would that would be unacceptable to the to the right of the Tory party. But actually, David Davis finally reached his breaking point, resigned over checkers, because he just couldn't accept it as a, a policy. 
And at that point, Boris Johnson, if he wanted to kind of have the shot at the leadership he envisaged, he had to go then as well. Which is why, you know, you know, like all the all the evidence is, is that Davis and Johnson's resignations weren't coordinated. You know, Davis gave Johnson a head up. It wasn't like he asked him to join him. But the minute Johnson knew Davis Davis had resigned, he knew that if he stayed, that would be a pro Brexit act, like a pro May's deal act. He wouldn't be credible as like the, the leader of the Brexit wing in the parliamentary party. And I think particularly now that a savage, as I Rishi Sunak has came out so strongly for the leadership. I think Savage Javid, you know, who is somebody that by all accounts gets on well with Boris Johnson, has kind of imbibed the Boris Johnson um, uh, 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 prescription in terms of becoming a bit more economically liberal, particularly when it comes to infrastructure spending. Um, He just reached the end of his tether. He just couldn't put up with it anymore. And so he resigned, and Rishi Sunak was like, oh shit, if he's resigning on a point of principle, um, I better resign, otherwise uh, that will look like I really am endorsing Boris Johnson. And so that's why, although they weren't coordinated, they feel like they were coordinated, because basically Savage Javid backed, uh, backed Rishi Sunak into a corner. I think there's something to that. Shall I tell you the moment where I think I sort of knew that Boris Johnson... No, 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 let's just just talk about these resignations first, Luke. Uh, Simon? Yeah, no, I I think think that feels feels right. Um, They were, you know, they were were for different reasons. Now, it might have been that, um, you know, they were, they were kind of, they were aiming their arrow, they were aiming at different parts of the Conservative Party. So, you know, Javid was aiming at the, you know, good governance wing, whilst Rishi Sunak was aiming at the sound money people. Um, But it doesn't, but yeah, it doesn't feel like that. And it's very likely Javid and Sunak will be, you know, knocking lumps out of each other in a few days' time as the leadership election gets started. Well, we we can talk about that in a minute, but I I strongly doubt they would run against... uh, Rishi Sunak's already running. I strongly doubt Sajid Javid would run against them. I I think they might, but I do do agree it's probably unlikely, but we we can come to that in a second. Yeah. Um, So do you have any other thoughts about these two big resignations, Luke? Not about those two, no. The one thing I will say, like, I was very skittish, and I think, you know, I said this to a couple of people, I was quite skittish on the night that we might get quite a racist blowback um, to Javid and Sunak, you know, two Asian ministers resigning, attacking Boris Johnson. Boris, no, no, we've had this discussion before, Luke, back, um, back when he was foreign secretary. I do kind of think Boris Johnson is racist, Um not in a sense that he has animus or hatred for black or Asian people, just that like he's a crass buffoon who kind of thinks people who are not like him are a bit funny and a bit weird and likes to make fun of them. Um, and, you know, we know, you know, the, you know, the, Sav- the Savile remarks um, a while ago 
we know he will reach for any any cudgel that he thinks will help him beat up his opponents, no matter how distasteful or self-defeating. So I was a bit concerned that we would get something quite nasty, uh, quite quite na- nasty racialized criticism of of, of the two men. Uh, but no, particularly because they weren't being backed up by any of their white counterparts. But you know what? Credit to the Tory party. Credit even to the, the kind of uh, freaks and weirdos that were like in 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 with Boris Johnson in his bunker in the, in the last days. You really didn't get that. I think there's some talk that some idiot on GB News was was doing it. Yeah, but, that that guy's just a complete wit- an unpleasant wingnut. Basically. But but the actual Tory party didn't didn't do it, and you know and that's that's good. I was I was genuinely concerned about that at one point. Yeah, I think particularly at the point when it looked like the only other person in the cabinet who hadn't come out and you know endorsed at that moment was Nadim Zahavi. Um, yeah, it, it, it was a yeah, it, it was it looked like it could be pretty dark, but in the end. Events overtook, really. So, Luke, yeah. you were you were saying that you were going to tell us the time when you knew Boris Johnson was gone. When was that? Uh, when uh, when when Kemi Badenoch and four other ministers, junior ministers, resigned in a single letter. Um, because if because I don't know I don't know whether that was coordinated, but if you look at those five names. They span like the entire ideological spectrum of the conserv- of the parliamentary conservative well, party. Well, it, it was clearly it was clearly coordinated, Luke. It was the same letter. Yeah, but they literally no. What I mean is, they were all sort of because weren't they weren't they all they were all like, they were all different parts of the wings of the party. Yes. Yeah, and also and also like weren't they all resigning from the same department? I don't think so. I know spread okay. out all over the place. Okay, but yeah, I know. I that, that they were all. I think they were all from like the 2015 or 2017 cohort. You are, yeah, it'd be 2015 if it's kept me bad knock. Yeah, I think that's what. I think that was what it was. They were all young MPs. Yeah, but basically that's the moment because it's like if 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 those five pe- if those five people have all turned on you simultaneously then you li- there's literally nowhere left I, like the parliamentary conservative party in microcosm turning on you yeah and i think obviously bad enough is of the right um so her turning just shows how widespread the anger was i mean I, it kind of felt he was done by pmqs to be honest and he had a bad pmqs so, like, I think a lot of people were expecting him not to show up to the liaison committee in a serious statement to, to announce he wasn't going. Um, the one thing I would say is the nineteen twenty, like the nineteen twenty two committee, made it a lot more difficult for the Tory Party, yeah, than it needed to be by by being being too cowardly to change the rules before the exec was reelected. And I and I get it, like they they are scared about about basically becoming Australia. Where people just have these vote no confidences until they get the result they want, um, but like you know, the idea you could go to him and say, "Okay, you've lost the support of the cabinet. It's time to go," 
it's like if that was going to work, he'd have gone before then. They needed to have been more aggressive with their schedule, even if it was like we are going to reconvene at 10 a.m. Um, and if he's not gone by 10 a.m., then we're going to change the rules and we'll have the vote of no confidence. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, th- I mean, I th- I agree with you, but I think I think what they should have done rather than changing the rules, they should have done basically a version of. Uh, Gore v. Bush and just said we're we're suspending the rules. Yeah, but the minute you suspend them, you can you can suspend them again. Yeah, but the the point is suspend them, get Boris Johnson out, and then rewrite the rules when things have calmed down a little bit. Yeah, but you but people will still know you can suspend them. Like this is a problem, isn't it? Like the reason part of the reason every I mean to me, I think the Rubicon's passed anyway. Because people know what Graham Brady did to Theresa May, are you go to her and say, if you don't go now, we're going to change the rules. So it's it's every six months you can have a VONC. The fact that everybody knew he had done that to her meant they knew they could come back again. Um, even, no, no, literally, like, what, less than a month? Barely? Well, yeah. no. But, but around a month after the last le- of Vote of No Confidence... <laughs> Um, so I, I think that Rubicon's path, and, and like it is going to make the make it much more difficult to be the, the leader of the Tory Party because that is now known that you no, know, they can get rid of you whenever they want. Now, to be fair, doesn't make it impossible. Like it, it is easy to forget that like both Margaret Thatcher um, and John Major, not Ted Heath. People always forget this. Ted Heath. It's always funny. When they wrote the rules for Tory leadership elections, they forgot to write rules about how you challenge the leader. <laughs> so they had that to was go... Our, that, was, that was Alec Douglas Home. Alec Douglas Home, yeah. So they had to go back and amend the rules to actually allow for a challenge. And when they did that, they created the, the rule that a leader would be up for election every November. So Margaret Thatcher, you know, she was Tory leader for 15 years facing an annual a leadership election in November, John Major was leader for just you no know, for, for for six and a half years, facing an annual leadership election. Like if you if you do a good enough job, you get to keep your job, you know? And like, let's face it, it's not like John Major did a great job. I do I do I do agree with you that you don't want to become Australia, because that really is a system. We're a very, in both major parties in Australia, we're a very, very small group of malcontents can just keep chipping away at a leader until it makes their position completely untenable. I I think, I mean, there's two things. I do think the fact, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of going to the membership. I do think that stays the MP's hands. The fact that they know they don't have complete control of where this journey ends that you know they may get rid of one leader they hate and the the membership imposes a leader they hate even more so i think that is a safety check the problem i i problem is i think the only way you could get back to where it's not australia is to limit the 1922 committee's ability to manipulate the rules as they see fit and to me i think this is an example of where having maximum flexibility is good um, but if you were to try and create a robust standard, 
I would have it where your leeway was linked to how big your majority was. So, like, to get the full year, let's say you had to have 70%. To get six months, you had to have at least 60%. To get three months, you had to have 55%. And if you get less than 55%, then there they can be an immediate VNC whenever people feel like. Because, you no, know, realistically, if you win a leadership election by one, one vote can't really be the leader i mean like it's 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 it was a bit of a weird rule but there was wisdom to the alec douglas home rules that the, the the person who won the leadership didn't just have to didn't just have to get a majority of 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 the votes cast actually had to beat the second place candidate by 15 percentage points as well like i i know that that kind of thing of no this has to be a clear decisive victory I think that actually made sense. Well, anyway, thoughts? are we going to talk about the? Ooh, the I, don't, I don't. I don't know if Simon has any thoughts on that on the, on these points. No, no. I, I I think there's a lot of of good sense there. I I think there's a you know it's going to be a particularly if the Conservative Party continues to be quite a sort of febrile atmosphere. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah, we haven't probably seen the last of these, but, you know, that's very exciting. But no, I don't have anything more particularly to add, to be honest. Yeah, before we go into the leadership election, Luke, we should just talk about, because there are more resignations to talk about. I have to be honest. There's not much Boris Johnson has done recently that I've liked or I've admired or I've respected. But my God, firing Michael Gove was funny. Like that. And waiting to, like... Gove giving him a 9pm deadline and Boris firing him at 8.59 makes it even better. Like that. That is like that. Now that's being a messy bitch. Like that, that is fantastic. Like that is so gloriously petty. Um, um, I thought I appreciated that. Um, I, I, I am genuinely baffled at some of the people he's got to be in his new cabinet, his caretaker cabinet. Um, like Greg Clark, what you do. The only thing I can think of with Greg Clark taking the role of leveling up is obviously Greg Clark was one of those MPs who had the whip removed. Yeah. Um, you know, on the left of the party, a Remainer was reasonably close to Theresa May. I wonder if he thinks, if I do this for Boris Johnson, it gets some of that Remain stink off me. Yeah, I mean, Greg, Greg Clark is almost a Liberal Democrat, to be honest. Um, you know, like, it, it might help me get a role in a new, in a new, under the new Prime Minister. We have to talk about uh, Nazim Zahari, because, like, he's got almost as much main character energy as Boris Johnson. <laughs> like, like the, he demands to maybe be made Chancellor, otherwise he's going to quit as well. He becomes Chancellor. He then becomes this huge Boris Johnson booster and is preparing to deliver this. Oh, this is actually one thing we should do, but we should soon that. I think one of the other subtexts is there was this long trail, never happening, spe joint speech on the economy by Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak. And I, it's quite clear Rishi Sunak was not going to sign up to what Boris Johnson wanted to put into that speech. 
i.e. a big series of unfunded tax cuts. And Zahari made it very clear that he was all on board for them, which, as I explained in my second City AM column, That'd be a bad idea because those because you know we do have we have had a surge of demand since the idea of the pandemic. You know, non nominal GDP in Britain is is twenty seven percent higher than it was at the lowest point just after lockdowns came in. Um, um, all the evidence shows um, inflation is is proven a, tr a bigger challenge in this country than in others. We know there are inflationary pressures to come because, you know, I think, you know Martin Lewis is raising the alarm that the October um, increases in the energy price cap are going to be absolutely eye-watering. And we know that it come April, work, uh, work, uh, universal credit and pensions will go up in line with inflation in another unfunded spending commitment. So that will add pressure on inflation. Um, you know, as I write in the City AM column, you know, just no, I, no, I learned this a hard way last year. I'm, an inf I'm, a, I'm usually an inflation dove. Just because you can explain away inflation doesn't make it go away. Um, and you know, if, if if the toy party's not careful, they could easily end up with you know six, seven, eight percent interest rates. And I don't think their voter voter coalition would enjoy them. Well, the pensioners might. But I don't think I don't think the, the the no what few people who are actually working or currently paying mortgages I don't think they'll enjoy it. Well, yeah, as 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 the person on this panel who is currently paying a mortgage and will be seeing my uh, my five year fixed rate end next year, um, it's 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 a concern, um, and I mean, and you know. But, you know, let's be honest with ourselves. You know, the, the, the Conservative Party's got to decide who it's for. Um, and that's what this... And, that, and, like, as much as I'm not convinced that it'll work for Rishi Sunak, like, at least in his leadership bid, he's, cut, he's, he's clearly trying to do the kind of, like, you know, tough, tough times, tough choices, you know. He's trying... I think it seems to me like he's trying to sound like Charlie Hawkey doing the we're living way beyond our means speech. But the problem is that he did that when he was already the Prime Minister, whereas, you know, Sunak is trying to win an election. I think... I think it's interesting, because one of... I've read, in, I've, I've read in someone in America say it, that actually, you know, like, the, the Fed hasn't tightened too much... Like because of the bad way the uh, Biden stimulus bill was 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 written back in twenty twenty one, there's actually quite a lot of stimulus still happening at the state level because basically you have these states that have loads of money that they didn't end up spending on COVID relief, and what's actually happened in lot of states, including in Florida, is allowing Republican governors to cut taxes and increase uh, public sector wages. Um, oh, that's going to end well, isn't it? Oh, quite. But um, one of the things this guy was saying, I can't remember who it was now. I think, I think it may have been um, Timothy Lee of, of, of uh, Full Stack. One of the things they were saying is, actually, one of the things the Fed and the government have done quite well is basically making people afraid of a recession. Um, and, and no, it's one of the things I always say about Cameron and Osborne. One, one of the reasons we had such a bad economy after 2010 
because they just scared the bejesus out of everybody by saying we're on the brink of being Greece. And you could see, like, normally when a, when conservatives come in, you know, industry and consumer confidence goes up because they're more, more trusted to run the economy. But it actually imploded when both of them came in because they, they just kept scaring people. And that, you know, to a certain extent, that helped the, the, the fiscal retrenchment they wanted to see, which was at that time a bad thing. And what, so what this guy was saying is, is that basically because the Fed and, and the White House are doing a decent enough job raising the alarm of the possibility of, of a recession, American families are starting to pull back on spending. They're not spending now on their savings as much as they were. I think one of the issues we actually had with this government when it came to its inflation messaging is Boris Johnson just couldn't bring himself to say that the economy was bad. He couldn't bring himself to kind of say, have you thought about not spending money, guys? Have you, um, you know, you know, what I think it's great saving for a rainy day. Because obviously he's Boris Johnson. Um, and so actually, you know, if you get uh, uh, Rishi Sunak in, in, in as Prime Minister, just the fact that he'll have the freedom to say, no, guys, this is serious. We need to kind of tighten, tighten, tighten our belts, household economics. That, that might be enough. And I, and I do feel like people say, oh, it's Osborne and Dogs, Osborne and Dogs. The fact that he realises that, that, you know, like Ken Clark did in the 90s, that if you, are, that if you, you know, when you do need to do fiscal, con- uh, uh, fiscal contraction, it can't just be done by spending cuts. It always has to be a mixture of tax increases and, and, um, and spending cuts because there's actually only so much you can cut before, like, the state starts to fall over. Um, and we are like way past that point, so it might it might it might work out better. Um, but yeah, so so so, so how he comes in, so then we get this weird thing where he tells Boris Johnson he has to go. He then, when Boris Johnson basically tells him to you know fuck off, he agrees to still make this this big economic speech on Thursday. And then when Michael Gove gets fired and people are basically like, if you want any sort of reputation and Tory party again, do not, do not stand by whilst he does this to Michael. He then releases a statement on Treasury Ned, uh, uh, headed no paper, no less, ca- calling for Boris Johnson to go. Um, I, think, I think it was Stephen Bush retreating somebody uh, saying, um, in all my hours of being chancellor, I've never seen a government this chaotic. <laughs> um, I, mean, I think you, you have missed, you know, the 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 record, the record. You've missed the record breaker in this in this in this whole thing, which oh, yes. is uh, Michelle Donnellan, the uh, who who by has broken a record set by members of Pitt the Younger's cabinet for the shortest cabinet career. Uh, I think it topped out at about thirty hours. She was uh, education secretary. And to be honest with you, looking at her record as universities minister, I think that's about as long as she should have been education secretary, <laughs> really. Way, like, uh, Simon, do you know who doesn't care about universities in England? Do you know who's gone full on uh, Nats? Yeah, I didn't know who Michelle Donnellan was. Like, uh- wow, wow. I was like, oh, this woman is bloody awful. She's a complete moron. It's like, who is she? I don't know who she is. 
I thought you, you look, you're the one who still works at universities. Yeah, but I don't answer to her. You're going to go around, you're going to go around saying things are not proven rather than not guilty now, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> Was that paper you were writing on Tuesday, Deep Fried Luke? Be honest. <laughs> I'm going to start saying the now instead of now. Well, it can't be as a now. But out with of that situation. Pardon? Oh, so you haven't got, okay, you haven't gone full Scottish then. No. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we've got a leadership election. No, 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 Luke, stop pushing forward. Oh, I, I, I want to get to the good stuff. No, this is the good stuff. So eventually they finally force him to go um, after yet more resignation. I mean that that I think was the thing. It was like I, I, I not to 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 but basically my, my new fave Michelle. I mean it was literally I, I went I commuted and, and I commute in the tube. So obviously you know it was one of those situations where you kind of I went underground at, uh, at sort of Tower Hill and was like I have no idea what is going to happen by the time I get out of the tube at St James's Park. Um, useful information there for any stalkers I've got. Um, but, um, like, and but it was, it was that hilarious moment where it's like, uh, yeah, it, since you've uh, been underground, four people have resigned, including the person appointed yesterday as uh, as education secretary. I think, um, no, here's a question I've got. I mean, I've talked a lot, but I don't think junior ministers should be MPs. Does this prove why they should be? Possibly. Like, like, actually, there is always a danger the cabinet comes to groupthink. Um, and actually, it is quite important to have junior ministers who can, if necessary, um, act as a counterweight to the cabinet itself. Because um, obviously, like, the famous example is the cabinet. Come with his, I think it was, it was the both the war cabinet and the full cabinet were much more amenable to uh, peace with Hitler in, in 40 than the full ministerial ranks. So didn't Churchill do like a meeting of all ministers yeah. to, bas to basically get the junior ministers sh to shout down the cabinet? And I do yeah. want, I do want, because I, I thought maybe it is as simple as you just, you trim them down a bit. So it's more, it's, there's more of an emphasis on the kind of, being the liaisons in Parliament, and then some of the set the stakeholder stuff can be done by 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 you know professional experts. But I do I do I like I feel, and you, you we all know how much of a high opinion I have of my knowledge of politics. But I feel this week has taught me a lot about the role of junior ministers and how important they are. Um, and it's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it, that, like, most satire ignores them? Yeah. Because in, in the thick of it, barely talks about junior ministers. Well, but Ben Swain, ben that's pretty much Yeah, but he's not talking about him in his context of the job. He was just somebody they brought in. Because uh, he wasn't Nicola... Was he Nicola Murray's? No, he was Hugh Abbott's, like, junior minister. Yeah, that's right. Because he... Yeah. I mean, He's basically brought in for the specials because they yes. can't cast Chris, what's his name anymore? Because he's in prison. 
I suppose actually the coalition. Does... Yeah, this was just. I was just going to say because of the nature of the way the coalition worked, when they had the coalition <laughs> thick bit, they had to have a Lib Dem junior minister. Obviously, they didn't call it the Lib Dems because. Oh. But I, yeah, think, I think they did. Did they? Did they actually? Oh, okay. I think they did. Yeah, I think they did. Um. Uh, but yeah, no, you're right, and I and I thought that actually was really good. I thought that 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 kind of showing that tension, yeah, 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 between the two was good. And like, and obviously, I'm gonna, in the, in the I'm gonna say, I, I was thinking all the way through this of those scenes in I think it's the Daily Mail, is it the Daily Mail newsroom where you can't, we're not the Independent, we can't just stick a picture of a whale on the front, right? Cruelty, that's cheating. <laughs> Uh, obviously, as well, yes, and that was in the and that was in the golden era of the independent. It's nowhere nowhere near as good as that these yeah. days. Yeah, obviously, yes, minister just didn't talk about junior ministers full stop. I, I don't think you ever saw Abbott's junior minister. Um, sorry, Jim Hafka's uh, junior minister. Um, um, no, no, it, it was the, the impression, possibly because of the size of the budget, was basically the Department of Ministry Affairs was basically run by three people. Um, I'm like, I, 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 did, did any of, either of you listen to the FT Spaces with Stephen Bush on? We're doing a lot of Stephen Bush references this Look, week. Yeah, that's fair. To me. Um, I listened to the podcast that was sort of the highlight. I edited the highlights yeah. um, this morning. Did 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 you get the bit where he was he was talking about how a a source a, a source was a senior civil servant um, in a department basically just messaged him to say. Yeah, there's nothing for me to do because there's no ministers for me to work towards. So <laughs> no, I'm that's off... incredible. <laughs> I'm I'm off to go and watch the new four movie. <laughs> <laughs> See, I think I think that shows. Was that civil servant in the Department of Housing and Local Government? <laughs> I, I think it was the uh, education. Actually, I think it was education. <laughs> By the way, I'm sure they would take him with no ministers based on the island of misfit toys. <laughs> Johnson's put in now. Andrea Jenkins. I do like the fact that Peter Bone only gets deputy leader of the house. Andrea Jenkins walks into a department and flips and lit- and is flipping the journalists outside the bird. That I saw that clip from I want to say Bridget Phillipson. Yeah. I hadn't realized because she's so unremarkable. I don't think I knew who she was. Well, she's not. She's remarkable, but in all, all the wrong ways. Yeah. John, John Cleverly is back as Minister for Veterans Affairs. James Cleverly. Yeah, you, oh, you confused Johnny Mercer and James Johnny, Cleverly. Johnny Mercer. Johnny Mercer's back as Minister for Veteran Affairs. Actually, that, that, that's, create, that's creating a new minister to attend cabinet. That is. That's bold for a caretaker administration. Well, you, know is... that, you know what that is, don't you? That's pushing forward that awful. Um, uh, amnesty, walk a, a, amnesty for for Northern Ireland soldiers who shot. Oh, you mean that? You mean that great and long overdue piece of legislation? We really should. We won't do it now, but we really should do a podcast on that, where me and Simon tell you you're wrong. <laughs> um, How would that be different from any other podcast? No, because sometimes you and Will tell me I'm wrong. Yes, oh, that's fine. true. That's true. I I I am I am neutral chaotic. <laughs> Um, chaotic neutral even. Um, so like, like the whole. Go- yes, I, 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 I feel like I've learned a lot about the world of junior ministers and why actually I underestimated why it's important. They, they, they be 
Um, they they BMPs. Um, but I don't know if he was, I mean, so I mean, here's a question: Why did he finally decide to go? Because like his this position, is... the position was no worse than it had been uh, so two hours can, before. Can, can I just point out, like, if anyone believes that listening to me is in any way a worthwhile exercise, let me tell you a little story. Um, I came in on. Thursday, yeah, Thursday, he resigned on Thursday. Sorry, this week has been one of those weeks, both with work and news, where I basically lost track of time. So I come into the office Thursday morning um, and my colleague um, I hadn't, who I hadn't seen for a, for a bit, you know, and we sort of, yeah, we sort of caught up. And he said, oh, what do you, you know, they know I'm interested in British politics. So, and he's actually, he's French and, and things. And he said, oh, so where do you think this is going to go? You know, what do you think the conclusion is? And I said, is, is your boss Ben Judder? I know my boss is a lot nicer than, than, than that, I would say. Uh, but no, he, he, this, this colleague said, oh, so yeah, what do you, you think is going to happen? And I said, I can't see why... I, basically, I thought he'd go in a vote of no confidence on about Tuesday next week, because my feeling was, if you have so set fire to all the principles of government... Why would you do that just to resign the next day? Literally, I then went into a call at 9.15 on Thursday morning, basically as Chris Mason was getting the call going, he's going to resign. My point being, my political antenna are pointing to the moon. Well, well this, this is one of the things, until like, it was such a bizarre day. Sorry, bizarre week. That, like, it's like when we were doing a podcast on Tuesday, Luke. Like, we started like, he's gone, he's definitely going. By the end of it, we were like, Oh my God, he could survive. <laughs> I think he was saying we, he was going to survive. I think it was more we were saying he's going. Oh my God, he's going to try and survive. No, no, no. We no, no. You you're misremembering, Luke. By the end of because you remember Tuesdays when it was just the two, and we ended it with him as successfully appointing replacements. We were kind of like, oh my God, is he going to like? He'd probably be gone eventually, but like we weren't thinking he was going to be gone in a matter of days. Um. Um, and like it's just because like the thing is, so I, I know you want to talk about the leash winners and riders, but I do want to talk about Johnson's because like Johnson's like Johnson because like what he did was extraordinary. Like, like Thatcher, like Thatcher and him were actually in quite similar situations, having resisted the comparison for a while um, because of the difference in the rules. Like they'd both gotten like. They'd both got been given the confidence of most of their MPs, but not really by a big enough margin to resolve anything. Um, Thatcher listened to her cabinet. She, she didn't have to, but she recognised that actually trying to stay on against the advice of her cabinet was just going to be like a really awful, horrible thing to do. You know, in like the same way Gladstone, when he was, um, when he lost the argument over the naval estimates, resigned. I just had someone to have to, to like oversee the destruction of his own government to such an extent. And not just have the, the no, the, the common sense, never mind common decency, to just fuck up. I, I genuinely don't understand what's going through his head. Like it was like I am not a fan of the down the download Hitler in his bunker meme because I think it's disrespectful to what's really 
downfall, sorry. I think it's really dis- disrespectful to a, a really good, really important movie. Um, but like this really was Hitler in his bunker type behavior where you're like, you're like, you're like telling imaginary divisions where they're going to move to on the battlefield. Um, and I, and I genuinely like, I, you know, the books that will come out of this will be fascinating in terms of what they will tell us about what was going through his mind. And I'm sorry, like, I know it sounds bizarre and it wouldn't have happened. It does feel like he was seriously, you know, he, there was part of his brain that was maybe the best way to put it was seriously considering, seriously considering a hostile snap election against his own party. I think I think there is something. I, I I mean I think he probably it feels like he was considering almost anything. And I think um, his resignation statement, which I have actually now uh, listened to all the way through because um, it was it was broadcast, it was sort of put out entirely on on newscast. Um, was I mean, it was the most incredible. I mean, it's strange because people compare it to the resignation statements that you know you get when they actually leave office. And the key thing is. Johnson still hasn't left office. He is still prime minister. Um, so you, in some ways, your most dignified moment is often when you actually leave, you know, actually go down in the car, you're done and dusted, you go and see the Queen. But he was he was talking like the Conservative Party and him were two entirely separate organs. It was very odd. You know, he really... Do, I think he really does see... Um, the cons- him himself as you know the only person who could save the Conservative Party and yeah he seems he basically I, I I wouldn't be I mean I think he'll be an MP for about ten minutes after he's the left Downing Street and I think he'll probably not I don't think he's going to be campaigning for any Conservative government I think he's almost going to be wanting to see the Conservatives crash and burn to prove he that he was right yeah I before we get into what what's going to happen to Boris Johnson after us I do think that's an interesting like. I do think the fact that he's not a creature of the Tory party is, is very true. I, I, this is a point I bore on about, but the very early YouGov poll of Tory members back in 2016 had May beaten Boris Johnson even before he had withdrawn. Um, she was winning. Like They preferred May to Boris Johnson. I, I, and I think there is, there is something about Boris Johnson that the average Tory member doesn't trust they they like him for brexit they have affection for him because of some of the stuff he does to annoy liberals but they can tell he's not sound and what the toy party cares most about is people being sound um they'll work with him they'll use him when they're desperate but like he is not of them and actually i think one of the interesting like there's a lot of talk about no is is johnson trump one of the things with Trump is like Trump is such an American character. He is so the kind of the dark aspects of American American of America's personality, you know, be, being made flesh. I don't think anyone would say Boris Johnson is the dark side of the British personality being made flesh. He's so clearly like this alien presence, this mountain back that has rodas for the benefit of his own ambition for the past 20 years. Um, now, here's, now, here's an interesting question. If Boris isn't, like, the dark side of the British character made flesh, can you think of anybody who is? Uh, oh, that's a good question. Uh, what do you think? So, you know, Simon's probably thought about this more. 
because I think consistently dark thoughts about the British character. That is yes. true. Um, I I kind of think it might be Theresa May in a weird way. Yeah, I could see that. Like she's she's someone who superficially seems sort of quite homely and pleasant and like someone you know but you know give it give it give it give her enough rope and she will send you know go home vans around housing estates she will be cruel to foreigners she will try and you know that that kind of and also all, all for sort of you know step all for being in all for yeah she sounds like this sort of great you know, this wonderful pragmatic view, but it is all at the end of the day just about holding on to any power that she's got. I think, I, I think, I, th- I think, I think it's, I mean, obviously it's always difficult to kind of pinpoint it. And I suppose the thing with Trump is, you know, it is, it's like, yeah. you know, ironically you pr- to say, you pro- you, to do it properly, you probably need a foreigner to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe, but yeah. I, I think it's probably one of those ones where, you know, it's the old line about pornography, you know what it is when you see it. Yeah. Um, and like with the thing with Trump is, he, you know, he's so clearly what he is. Um, I could see the argument with May. I wonder if May, if she's too rigid to be the dark side of our character, that, you know, no, we're not, it's not, it's not overly rigid Albion, is it? It's perfidious Albion. Um, mm. And so actually somebody like Cam, like a, a more evil version of Cameron, um, you know, more slippery, um, more you know, you know, you know. Corners. If we're talking about politicians, if we're talking about politicians, you know who I would nominate. No one. Jacob Rees-Mogg. You can't. You can't have a Catholic be the evil side of the British character. No. Right? He, well, he. he, he Through several reformations, for crying out loud. Well, hear me out. It's like no man who recognises the authority of the Bishop of Rome in England, can be called a true patriotic prince. In the out, it's... Because I, th- I think, I think the, the, dark side of the, the dark side of the British character is, clev- is, clev- is cleverness masquerading as wisdom. Yeah, I, th- I, think, I think there's some truth to that. I think there's some truth to that. Um... Yeah, see, pe- people mock Jacob Rees-Mogg. But he's a ve- he is superficially a very clever man. He's basically the only MP I've ever come across who properly understood Erskine May, who actually took the time to understand Erskine May. But you give him any you give him any position of authority because he is superficially clever. He doesn't. He won't. He is right. Everybody. Everybody else is wrong. It's going to be done his way. It's going to be done properly. It's going to be done. You know, and also it's it's the st- it's the it's the stiff upper lip and reserve hiding fundamental coldness as well, because Jacob Rees-Mogg is a very cold human being. Yeah, we should come back to this topic. I think this is an interesting yeah, topic. I, I, I agree. I, I wish I'd had more than. You know, I think. I think. I, th- I think we can maybe do this as a podcast at some point when it's yeah. a bit quieter. Um, just, just before we go on to the leadership, because I don't want Luke to burst. Um, so, I, sorry, before we actually, before we get to what I did want to say, I just want to talk about the Lassels, Lassels or Lachelles? The Tommy, Lassels. the Tommy principles. 
Yeah. Um, uh, by I'm way, only going by how it was pronounced in the crown, and they pronounce it lassels. By the way, um, you've mentioned a crown. I want someone to get the guy who plays him in the crown and put him in something good. Because, like, every scene he is in is absolutely fantastic. You know what he would, that actor would be brilliant as? Amina M. You know when they yeah. reboot James Bond? He'd be a great M. You know, do you not always get, I always put that, but his performance in The Crown is, what if um, the Harry Enfield, Mr. Trimmel Warner character is played straight? No, I, I think it's, I, I think there is. There is a hint of menace that, like, he is no, be, you know, all that is. I, actually, you know what? He might be a good argument for the dark side of the vicious character, to be honest. Because, <laughs> like, he was around for a fucking long time. Um, yeah. But, like, there is just this hint that beneath the politeness, beneath the kind of formality, <laughs> there is someone who deep down just wants to thump you. What the bell? Bear in mind, like he is, he was a he was a veteran of the First World War. Um, I'm, 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 me, and I would recommend this to both you and, and I'm sure most people are listening to this. Uh, John Elidge is doing, um, he's doing like um, writing articles for every episode of Doctor Who for um, a, a new Substack. And one of the points that he makes quite a lot when doing his, because he's doing reviews of the new series and the classic series alternating. And one of the things he says about the classic Doctor Who is the crackle of violence with how civilians behave is quite noticeable. And it does kind of remind you that, no, because of Doctor Who's in the 60s, every adult man in the 60s just about would have had some form of military service mm. and older adults, not that old, but slightly older adults would have had actual experience in war. And when you think like, you know, obviously like, you know, my ex-wife's a soldier. So I've had, I've had a bit more exposure to the army than most civilians. And obviously you have as well, Luke, through your job. Um, but like most people, the, the army and military service completely divorced from their everyday life. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I do want to talk about these. Firstly, because I said like I am pretty sure Johnson plan Johnson was seriously considering seriously considering doing this. It was this is one of those days where t- this is one of those p- p- things where Twitter is quite tedious because. The smart people who know it all make fun of you if you just tell them the truth and they think you're a Pollyanna um, that doesn't know what you're talking about. And it's just like, no, the Queen is not going to let Boris Johnson, the the palace is probably more accurate to say, the palace is not going to let Boris Johnson fuck over the Tory party by calling a hostile slap election. Um... Like it's just not going to happen, um, and you know, and we have this clearly enumerated principle in that high constitutional organ, the Times Letters page, <laughs> that explains why that is. Now, Simon, you are not 
you are not as prone to romanticism as myself and Luke. Is there no part of your soul that doesn't think it's really fucking awesome that a key part of our constitution is found in the letters page of a copy of the Times in 1950? No, I, really <laughs> not. This is the thing, I just don't have... I, this is the, the bit this is the bit of the British character I just don't understand. It's like, and I'm not saying this, I'm not going to go in, I'm not necessarily in favour of a, a written constitution. I think the United States proves why that's a real problem. But like, no, clearly the idea, I mean, is, are we saying that he'd written a letter to the Guardian, the entire constitution might have accidentally fallen over because no one would have read, read it? Yeah, you don't write a paper other than the Times is practically sacrilegious. And especially to a provincial newspaper, Simon. Yeah, to a Manchester paper. Well, this is what I'm saying. I mean, it's just, I I think it's just, I, I, I find the whole thing just, it's also not so long. I, weirdly, I've, I've got the last principal uh, Wikipedia page up right now. It's not even a very long letter. Well, you know, that's one of the things I think is brilliant about it. Well, you know, it's even better, don't you? You know how it's not very long. The middle point about an election being a negative for the economy, that principle's been dropped. So they're even shorter than they appear in that letter. I mean, I mean it is very, it is very, it is very impressive to be able to, you know, pinpoint what your key principles are of a key constitutional question that quickly. But I just, I find it baffling. You know, this is the bit about British politics I always find baffling that it's just that we have this bit of it that is like, oh yeah. I mean, it has it has the vibe of Bernard Black's accounting system. Um, it's like, yeah, some element of the British Constitution is, you know, actually, not this isn't Bernard Black. It's a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. You know, it's 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 in the bottom of a locked filing cabinet behind behind the door on which it says, "Beware of the leopard." You know, this is. A, I find, you know, there is so, my main concern is that there is so much in the British system and to some extent in the American system that's based on the fact that good chaps will always be good and it's fine. And I, and, and I mean, I think the reason that people were worried even after Boris Johnson had stood up and said, I'm going, that he wouldn't, that he would try and, you know, run a coup d'etat, run an alternative and, and sort of come back into it is that the, the, the sort of 48 hours before that have been so deranged that you're like, to be honest, we don't put anything past this guy anymore. And Will Walden was like, by, by Wednesday evening was like, you know, this is a guy who was in the back of the cabin in five minutes after decided not to stand in 2016. It was like, I, I have literally no idea what this guy is going to do next. I, I just can't tell you. And that's why people did go quite slightly slightly bonkers because they had been watching all of the sort of tenets and principles that they expected to happen in a constitutional country government be seemingly be set on fire so i think i mean i think yeah i think like again like i think i think he was he was going he if i think you're seriously considering doing it um, I just don't think he'd have been allowed to, and I think, and I, th I think one of the really, and I think the liaison committee did it brilliantly in terms of explaining, um, and trying to pin him down. They kind of pinned him down, but you could tell he was trying to weasel out, whilst giving the impression he was pinned down. 
But what that then did is it got the the it got the the BBC to talk about it. They they started talking to the Institute for Government. Um, other other experts were coming out. You had the Telegraph very clearly say that no, not only should Boris Johnson not ask for it, but if he does, the palace should and will reject the request. So like he was being told in no uncertain terms, you know, don't do it, sunshine. I would disagree slightly with the idea that we rely on good chaps being good chaps. Because the big difference between us ourselves and the Americans is that there is somebody above the head of government. So it's fundamentally, <laughs> I mean, Boris Johnson eventually saw sense and went. If he had insisted on staying on and blowing through all the conventions, all the norms, the Queen would have just fired him um, and then asked the Cabinet to nominate a replacement. You know, that, that, is, that is the ultimate backstop. Our system has that, oh no, all parliamentary systems have, whether they're presidential or constitutional monarchy. That's the ultimate backstop that all um, parliamentary systems have, that a presidential system doesn't. And no matter how much you try and pin down the constitution, it doesn't change that fact that the president is 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 numero is numero uno, and there is nobody he reports to or can hold him accountable unless you go for a very legalistic process like impeachment. Um, the other thing I would just say, I I, <laughs> I just like the fact that it's in this letters page in the Times. I find that funny. Um, what do people think about Boris Johnson staying as a caretaker? And, and it has to be said, it does increasingly look like he will stay as a caretaker because I literally, whilst we've been on the air, Tom Tugendhat has made, has like doubled down that he is running after saying he was considering. Kemi Badenoch has announced that she is standing as well. Nadine Dorries is thinking about it. God help us. Um, we've talked before about the 1922 committee having boobed. Um, with um, being not aggressive enough, I I think there's a few things they can do. I, I if I was them, I would be increasing the threshold to be a nominated candidate. Like if this idea you can be a candidate with two people is just utterly ridiculous. Um. I I think 10% is the minimum. I'm perfectly happy with 20%. If 20% of people won't put you down as their preferred candidates, you shouldn't be standing to be leader, in my opinion. Um, there's also the rumour that they... Well, there's not a rumour. There's also the suggestion that they might not take it to the membership and I, I, I do think I think the, the, the range of candidates we're starting to get now um, I don't think you can get away with um, trying to put pressure on the person who comes second to drop out you're gonna have to actually have the 1922 committee to use its power to say you know due to the circumstances due to need to get an, a leader in quickly um we 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 are going to suspend the membership ballot. We will send the new prime minister out to the membership for them to rubber stamp it at conference. Um, 
yeah so i know what, what are people's thoughts what would what would people do no would would you would people have liked to see a caretaker would people like to see an expedited leadership contest what are your thoughts uh luke i mean in an ideal world in an ideal world i would like to have seen a caretaker and quite a leisurely uh, leadership election because I think you've made this point offline. Well, that's one I agree with you with. The Conservative Party and actually, more importantly, the country are faced with a really deep set of problems. So I actually think that they, they wouldn't, it would, I think it would actually be quite a positive thing if you actually had a campaign that took these issues to the, the country before the MPs voted. Because I think that the the Tory party owes it to itself and it owes it to the country to have a really deep think about where it's going and what its what its sort of solutions are to the problems that are in front of us. That said, like I said, that's what I would have done in the ideal. I suspect that what we're going to find in the coming days, weeks and months is that that option was never really on the table. Um in the sense that you needed to get Boris, you needed to get Boris Johnson to resign, and I think having him serve out, you know, uh, you know, serve out an interim period was pro- might well be the price you actually paid to get him to go. The other thing I would add is the palace is, is you know, p- if people think the palace isn't playing a role in this, they are absolutely uh, doolally uh, for the birds. Um, the palace was quite clearly communicated to Boris Johnson. Now, if he asked for disillusion, he wouldn't get one. Um, by uh, allowing him to appoint new ministers, which technically they could have refused, they are also making it clear that they do actually want a government just to continue with him as the head. And the, it's quite interesting. I don't know if you've heard this, Simon. I've told this to Luke offline. It's quite interesting, actually. Um, the basic issue is we do have such a thing in the constitution as a caretaker prime minister and it's a prime minister is in office after he has lost the confidence of parliament waiting for his successor to be identified so Gordon Brown after 2010 election he was a caretaker um, no, Margaret Thatcher after nineteen after the nineteen ninety leadership election was a caretaker. Boris Johnson now is a caretaker, and it's quite he, clear he's, he's not though, is he? No, he is. No, no, he well, is. because he hasn't But but he's resigned the leadership. So like he 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 is no longer the leader of the party that placed him in that position. So it, it so it counts because like Thatcher didn't lose. Thatcher resigns. Okay. Um, so actually, what Johnson's limitations are quite clear. Now, to what extent you can enforce those limitations short of the palace firing him is another question. But like the British constitution knows what his duties are, and it's basically the same duties the prime minister has whilst the country is going to an election, i.e. it's basically per the rules, no major announcements, no deviations of policy. You're just minding the shop. You're taking the bare minimum decisions to keep the country going. The issue apparently is there is no such thing as an interim prime minister. 
So if Boris Johnson was to resign and the cabinet goes round and says, OK, we want Dominic Raab to be our new prime minister, they've given him confidence. Mm, OK. So he actually isn't constrained by any norms. I think that is something that should be revisited. There should be a way of appointing a new prime minister on a caretaker capacity. Because, like, Churchill kind of, that kind of happened with Churchill. Like, he was the same prime minister, so it's a bit different. But obviously, in 45, the coalition ends, the coalition government resigns. Churchill is then reappointed as the leader of a new conservative administration. That no, that that is explicitly a, a caretaker administration plunged immediately into a new general election. Um, the one thing actually, just just I brought bring Simon in terms of his thoughts about the leadership election. The one thing I d- did to get to mention because it's something I said on Twitter. I think a lot of the skitty, skittishness about Boris Johnson is people have misread what happened with prorogation. Reality is, prorogation uh, po- uh, po- uh, to, you know, parliament to help you as a government and fuck over your enemies in parliament is not a new thing. Boris Johnson did not invent that idea. John Major prorogue parliament, so the Nolan report couldn't be published before the 97 election. Attlee prorogued parliament so he could get the new parliament act um, passed. Um, on an expediated timeline. Um, you know, it has been done before. Um, so I think people... Boris Johnson proroguing Parliament to help him wasn't him being, like, unusually norm-breaking and caddish. Him doing it in a way where his opponents could muster enough uh, um, outrage, uh, visible outrage that they emboldened the courts to actually interfere in, 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 a, in a process of parliament and a process of the monarchy? Was Boris Johnson <clears throat> being unusually uncomp- incompetent? And so, like, if he couldn't do parole, uh, 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 if he couldn't successfully prorogue parliament to help himself, something that even John Major in 97 could do, um, there was no way he was going to get a dissolution passed because, like, we know the Queen has made it clear to Prime Ministers who are thinking of doing this that she would say no. I mean, this has been like, it sounds very funny and it sounds very old hat when you say that there was a letter in 1950 um, from Tommy uh, Lassels, um, the then King's private, sec- uh, private secretary. But you know who else he was private secretary for? Go on. The Queen. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, like, like, uh, like it feels like ancient history, but the, you know, the joy the of Queen our, is just really old. Yeah, the joy of our constitutional system is the Queen is this weird constant in the past. I mean, that's that's one of the arguments for monarchy. Anyway, Simon, um, yeah, your thoughts about what the Tories should do with Johnson, um, what, what they may, they should do with the leadership election. I am feeling, I think, you know, this has been a very visceral week. There's a lot going on. You know, there's been a lot of, it's been a lot of noise. And I was very cross earlier, as I often am, about the fact that Johnson was planning to stick around like a bad smell for the next few months. Um, and 
but I, I, th- I feel calmer about it now, partly because of what you've said, but I was, I was anyway, I was feeling a bit kind of like, well, you know, there's not, uh, he's not going to, you know, he's not going to run again. He's not, I think he has, I think he has sort of woken up a bit, you know, he has kind of gone, and gone okay, this is, I just, I can't do all of the things that, you know, I, I can't just go completely off the wall. Um, so yeah, sticking him in, I mean, in terms of the leadership election, I mean, I'm, I'm a, I, I, I'm not a, I'm not ever going, I'm a very unlikely to ever vote Conservative. My main desire is to see it, you know, crash and burn. I, I mean, open it up to as many people as you want. I mean, I, I'm obviously, um, I'd like to make it very clear that I'm officially backing John Barron uh, for the Conservative, <laughs> uh, therefore officially doubling the number of people who think John Barron would be the ne- a good Ooh. leader. No, I might do that, but ironically, but we'll we'll talk about it in a second. The 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 um yeah, he's because he's like a mad isolationist. Yes. Uh, oh, good. Well, okay, you can you can back him. I'll find. I mean, you know, look. I mean, I think there is surely, I mean, surely on base on the basis of your position, you should be backing the Dean Doris to to ensure that Labour wins the next election. Thing is, though, and the one I'm, after that, and the one after that, and the one after nah, that. The the thing is, like. Nadine, Nadine is very special, and she, she had a beautiful Philomena Kunk moment at the um, at the British Library when you know she was like, "Oh, they hold all the books in the country here." I found one by Austin, one by Bronte, not pointing out which one it was, uh, but I couldn't find any of mine. How am I going to cope? I mean, she's yeah, she's she's an idiot. But and does it, does it know the difference between rugby and rugby league? Yeah. I mean, she's not going to. I don't. I think. I. I the question is whether the extent to which Nadine Doris is a Dunning Kruger, and will she actually run because she doesn't realise how stupid she is, or is yeah, I? She'll, she'll, she'll run and get absolutely no. I don't think she'll run. I don't. I. I can't see it. I really. I mean. I all think. I'm, all I'm going to say is Simon. The, the type of people she'd be no, she'd be trying to get support from. They did back Angela Ledson to be prime minister, and they went on a protest march for her, which is still, in spite of everything that's happened in the last few weeks, one of the most amusing things I've ever seen. A bunch of right, a bunch of right wing Tories who have have never been on a march in their lives, trying to work out how to do a chart. Uh, it was. It's beautiful. Did, did, is, beautiful. There part, is there a part of you that worries that seeing the other side do a march isn't them doing a march badly, but that's how all marches look when you don't support it? Uh, look, look, pl- pl- please, don't, <laughs> please, don't, please don't hurt my early, my early to mid-20s. <laughs> um, I, I, I am... Um, Look, that, as, that was uniquely evil, even for me. No, no, no. Can, can, I, can I look? Look, I said on I said on Twitter that someone I spotted a, a tweet and I quoted it because it was fun. Of like, what was the stupidest project? Like the most and not not necessarily the campaign reason, but what's the sort of most ridiculous protest you've ever been on? And I, I was saying I picketed um, an arms dealer's dinner at the Natural History Museum about ten years ago. Um, with the chant one two three four, we love the dinosaur. Five six seven eight, it's the arms trade that we hate. And I understood that was ridiculous as I was doing it. You know, believe me, people who've done enough of these things 
understand how patently ridiculous they are. The problem was actually that I actually don't think the Leadsom for Leader people quite realised how ridiculous they, they, they were looking at the time. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, I think the thing with Johnson is, I think it would have been very good for him to be removed. But not because like he was going to do something crazy in, in well in the, in the next two years, but just because he was clearly going to put a bunch of, like a bunch of broken toys into these positions to keep the government going, and that might be bad because like there are decisions even in Perda and even in this kind of quasi Perda in now that junior ministers and ministers have to take. Um, and, as you, and as you said, like this country is in a lot of. There's a hell of a lot of stuff going on. And so the idea that, you know, like, and so actually they may have to make some rather more serious decisions than, you know, Theresa May or David Cameron did in their interim. Well, I, I think, I don't think they can. I'm, John, I mean, you know, take your foot, it's worth, but Johnson has made it very clear. No new policy announcements. Um, Which also... Go on. It's likely, it's likely to mean that you get an expedited process for the leadership election. Yeah, I mean, just, just, I think, just another thing of, I think the reason why it's important to have gotten rid of Johnson was just to make it clear that this behaviour isn't acceptable and we do not tolerate it. And like to put, try and put like the black mark of Kane on him and make yeah. it clear that he should not be considered a, a, a member of, of respectable society. Um, you know, like, no matter how much Richard Nixon tried to rehabilitate himself, and look, he 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 actually succeeded better than he should have, uh, which is forgot. It's weird, isn't it, Luke? Because people have memory holes how Richard Nixon actually became semi-respectable by the time he died, because yeah. the minute he died, we learned all the other mad shit he'd been doing <laughs> that yeah, he'd actually I mean, meant to keep secrets. George H.W. Bush had him to the White House. Clinton had him to the White House before he died. He wrote, you know, umpteen books. But also, like, he, he, was, a, he was actually a fairly regular, like, contributor to the opinion pages of the, the, New, York, the New York Times and the Washington Post. Um, he sort of had, like, a... He sort of had, like, a law practice. You know, he sort of lent his name to a law firm. White Shoot Law Firm in New York, which I always find very, very funny. <laughs> the only time, the only, the only time a criminal was, you know, lent their name to lent their, lent their name to a law firm. Um, so yeah, I'm sure I, that's not true. I bet there are people who are mafia uh, yeah. members, you know. <laughs> but yes. Um, so yeah, I mean, he he did become sort of he did become sort of quasi respectable, and like was written, you know, Bill Clinton and Bob Dole. Um, because he died in sort of the run up to the, you know, he died in the run up to the '96 election. They gave very sort of fulsome eulogies for him as well, which I always thought was a bit, which I always thought was a bit weird. Um, but like uh, the thing is, sorry, go on. I always love the Bob Dole, um, the Bob Dole line. I think he was, I think he'd been invited to Anwar Sadat's funeral, and it was Gerald Ford, Jimmy Carter. And Richard Nixon was standing there, so Bob Dole went, oh, he was like, see no evil, hear no evil, and evil. <laughs> <laughs> Bob Dole was a funny guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, um, 
the the uh, yeah i but i think i think the one thing that did happen though is nixon <laughs> is the only guy to ever resign the u.s presidency and he can yeah. never it, as, as as successful as he was in rehabilitating himself he could never scrub that off and i think if boris johnson had been basically told you are so toxic you don't get your goodbye tour um you know you go now I think that would have been quite powerful. I my suspicion is is the palace does not want to normalise the idea they have to appoint these Mickey Mouse caretaker prime ministers, because like if if you let if this happens with Johnson, you know the next time somebody loses a leadership election and has to resign, they they are going to be so tempted to just go fuck off and sit on a beach for two months rather than having to just kind of watch the leadership election carry on, carry on around them. So I, 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 my, my I, 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 I tell you what, speaking of, speaking of Nixon, I am almost certain that Boris Johnson will step down as an MP as soon as he officially... Mm. I, don't uh, think, I am not sure Minister. he will. Well, let me, let me finish. I'm sure he will step down as an MP, and I'm 99% sure he will move to the United States. I am not sure he will resign as an MP, because I just think... You know, like, the, thing, the thing is, you got to remember, this is different to Cameron. The problem Cameron had when he resigned was that... The, the Tory party's majority was so small, they couldn't just say, do what you want, no, come when you want, vote, no, if, if, if there's something you don't want to vote for, just miss it, it's no big deal. Like, he was getting really uncomfortable at, at, no, at either having to vote for things he didn't believe in, or actually, like, undermine his successor. The Tory party has a big majority. Yeah, but being an MP... Uh, no, let me finish. Sorry, let me finish. Johnson needs some money? Why, yeah, would but... he, why would he give up? Why would he give up, what is it now, 70, 80 grand? Yeah, but that, that's chicken feed compared to what he can make. But why can't he just make that money? Like he's, he, he's gonna but be... but that's, that's the thing. If you, if you stay as an MP now... You know, there's a lot more scrutiny about how you about the the jobs on the side. And, but would he care? I mean, like George Osborne. Yeah, but I mean, you can say you can say would he care? But like, you know, some of some of that some of that stuff, some of those some of those restri- restrictions are statutory. But no, but like, would he care? Like, not in terms of he wouldn't do it, but like. Why he wouldn't? Why why would he be scared of just declaring he's earning this money? Because like it's not like he's going to go and become an arms dealer or something. He's going to be doing you know, books after dinner speeches, um, you know, TV programs. You know, it's all going to be quite public. Like he's not going to be somebody who wants to go and um, hide away. And I just think like if you look at his background. Uh, and how he's behaved in the past, you know, his guiding principle in life is why not both? So I get what you say, like, you know, a normal person might think, well, either I stay as an MP or I resign as an MP and then I can start to really make money on in the private sector. 
Yeah, there'd be a, there's a reasonable chance he'd lose his seat in the next general election. Well, no, no. Here's the thing: I don't think he'd re- he'll restart. Yeah, but I think I I I I would be I would I would anticipate he would just serve out the term, and if it looked like it was going to be a a bit dicey, too much hard work to defend his seat, he he would then step down then. But like, why turn down seven, you know, seventy, eighty thousand pounds when you don't have to? I'm not, I, I just, I just think, I just think there might be even more money to be made if you went to the states. But but he can do the stuff in the states while still being an MP. Yeah. it's not. It's not like he has to resign if he's not there. Yeah. Like Gordon, I, I, Gordon can any, Brown. Can, any, can, any, can anybody else see the Boris Johnson show on Fox? I I, I was honestly suggested that to you. Well, you can see it. What do you think, Sam? Yeah, I mean, I, I whether yeah, whether it's I, it feels, I, I that's about the best outcome, to be honest. I think that the more concern because you know he has been prime minister. He will have been prime minister probably for just over three years by the time this is all done and dusted. Um, but like he, he, he. He could end up, you know, selling his contact, you know, selling his contact book for cash. I mean, that's the that's the bit, that's the thing that I would worry about. I don't, I don't, I don't give a if he, if he wants to appear on Fox News for and take Rupert Murdoch's money for a while. I don't really, I don't really care. But I, 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 I think you have to remember this is a guy who, as prime minister, wanted people to pay for his wallpaper. Like I, I just think Luke, the idea that he would have to step down to take this money is just ascribing him far more shame than he actually has. Seven grand for a rug. By the way, Seven. we have I'm <laughs> in the wrong I'm in the wrong I'm in the wrong industry. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> we have... What what is this? What does a seven thousand pound rug even look like? Does it give you a hug? Because if basically, yeah, if not, right, yeah, then... I'm going to say unless 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 it can unless it can give me a blowjob, I'm not spending seven grand. Well, well, no, what it actually does, it caresses your buttocks as you nakedly wrestle Michael Grove to the to the floor in front of a roaring fire. Yeah, you've watched. Uh, oh, what's the film? It's the DH, it's the DH Lawrence no, no, no. adaptation. Yeah. I've not watched it, but I, I've seen that scene. I'm sure you have. I'm sure you have. <laughs> the um, we have we do have to talk about before we go Boris Johnson. Um, uh, we do have to talk about. He was going to have a big wedding party at Checkers, like. Like this has been made fun of as like the reason he wants to cling on to the premiership for a few more weeks, so he can have this big wedding party. I don't think people have quite grasped how batshit insane this is. Like you have had a year of constant bad publicity due to your wife's profligate ways. That's bad mispronunciation. Profligate. Thank you, Luke. Um. Um, and all the fact that you know you and your inner circle are constantly trolled having parties um, at the tax- taxpayers' expense, and your plan to celebrate a razor-thin voter no confidence victory was to have a big fucking party on public property. Like, no, no exaggeration. 
I think if this stuff hadn't have happened the, 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 these this past week, I think that might have ended it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, can, can I can I say I, I said this I said this to, to a colleague, so I will say this here. Uh, this 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 is the one thing that made me feel sorry for Boris Johnson because you know in between everything else, you know he's had a stressful week. I think we can all agree, and now. He has to essentially organise a wedding reception with no venue in about two weeks. There are people who take 18 months to find a wedding. Basically, what I'm saying is, uh, if, you, if there are any village halls in the Didcot area, uh, if, you, if, you, if you want to make enough money to keep the village football team in Armani for the rest of time, this is your moment. Well, no, he's still got checkers, hasn't he? He would just, he would just put in checkers still. He's not doing... He's, no, he's actually oh, said it? he's not going to... He said he's... Den- he said he's not going to use checkers for this. He's got to find a new venue. Wow. Can you imagine that as like like I know this has been pretty funny, but Boris Johnson being brought down by his wedding party. Like like you you've been saying for a long time, Luke, the irony of him being brought down by a sexual by someone else's sexual harassment, someone else's sex scandal. But him being brought down. By celebrating his wedding and his commitment to his wife, that would be some irony. That would be like yeah. nuclear strength irony. But I mean, the thing, this is the, this is the thing I find sort of. There's a lot. There's a lot in this week that has been baffling. Um, but the thing that is that the two the two things that have essentially destroyed his premiership are trying to protect the job of. Owen Patterson and Chris Pincher. Yeah, like true. this is not these. This is not for some great principle. These are for two of the least competent people. You know, these are not good people. But there, you know, there we are. Um, the um, the sorry, just just one more thing. To say, can we just make take a moment to laugh, to, to laugh and to consider the fact that he called his best mate Zelinsky on the day he was resigning. Oh, uh, my favourite, possibly one of my favourite tweets of this entire thing was, I think, uh, Jane Merrick, who said, uh, the PM is currently on the phone call to Vladimir Zelensky. Brackets, this is not a joke. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it was just like, what's the one thing people think I've done well? Hasn't Vladimir Zelensky got a rule? I think the Ukrainians might start doing a lot better in this war because their commander-in-chief isn't going to be woken up every half hour because Boris Johnson's having an internal <laughs> crisis. I think, I mean, it's an article I'm toying with at the moment. Like, I think they are genuinely quite friendly, and maybe even friends. Like, like their readouts are unusually warm between two um, um, heads of government. Well, they're also very—they're not like I, we've, I, I know I've wanged on about Zelensky in the past, but like Zelensky is also a deeply unusual politician, yes. as is Boris Johnson. They're both basically uh, marinated in the in the in the in the ferment of their country's celebrity rather than their country's political. Yes, no, I, I agree. Um, and I think, and I think, I was saying to you, Luke, wasn't I? Like, I, I know the policy would have been done by pretty much any, certainly any any Tory prime minister. There, there may there, there may have been a candidate from the Labour Party that may not have done this. Can't think what his name was. Um, um, but um, I do think, like, even like Joe Biden. It's clearly not doing this with Ukrainians and actually finds Ukrainians a bit annoying. 
Whereas Boris Johnson does seem to have like taken the cause to his heart. And, you know, what Ukraine is trying to do in terms of, you know, let's be frank, the sacrifices they're trying to get Britain and Europe and the rest of the world to endure so they can continue to fight Russia to a standstill and then hopefully reverse Russia's, you know, relatively small territorial gains. They kind of need someone to be to be saying, no, you're going to win, you're fighting a good fight, you know, don't know, this is not time for compromise. And it's not just that Boris Johnson was willing to do that, and like pretty much any leader outside of Eastern Europe. It's the fact that, you know, he is a genuine celebrity. Like, he, he is the first British Prime Minister since um, Tony Blair, which I, where, like, I think most politically engaged Americans, and I don't mean, like, people who just have an interest, but, like, people who are on Twitter, like, the really super engaged Americans, they have a clear idea who he is and clear opinions on him. And, uh, no, we'll see what happens next, but I can see why Zelensky would think that that was important and worth having. Yeah, no, I, 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 I agree with all of that. Um, I realized I obviously look, it's been a, it's been a big, it's been a it's big, big week. It's been a big week, but we are, are run, we, it is running a bit long. So, I mean, I almost feel so. Um, do we just brief, very briefly, and I mean very briefly, mostly because I'm quite tired, yes. uh, uh, just kind of go through where we stand with the. Um, I mean, let, let's keep, let's keep it very brief. Cards on the table, gentlemen. Who's going to be the next prime minister? Oh, go on then, Luke. Yeah, yeah, you, 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 what you've done there is you've, you've picked up a gun and shot okay. yourself in the foot with it, I think. I, I, um, it's very early days. This is probably going to be wrong. But, and I'm not sure, and Will is going to say, Will is going to say this is motivated reasoning because I want him to be Prime Minister. I'm not sure I do, actually. I think it's going to be Ben Wallace. Well, why do you think that, Luke? Um, just because, because in a fairly shambolic government, he is by far and away the most competent minister. I think he can appeal broadly across the Conservative Party because he was a Remainer, but he served Boris Johnson loyally going back way before Boris Johnson became Prime Minister. <laughs> I think, um, so I think he can appeal. He's got a fairly broad broad appeal. Um, I think the Tory party is going to be looking for somebody that exudes sort of rectitude and gravitas. And I think Ben Wallace does that. Now, my problem is, and this is going to sound, this is going to sound ironic coming from me, Ben Wallace's primary interest, even going back to way before he served in the cabinet, have been foreign affairs and defence. So if I'm a Conservative MP talking to Ben Wallace, talking to Ben Wallace's outriders, my questions are, what you, you know, what's your theory on education policy? What, how would you, what, would, what are your ambitions for the health service? How, do you, how are you going to combat inflation? Because the thing is, I'm not sure Ben Wallace actually has 
very deeply thought through ideas when it comes to domestic politics. Yeah, so um, I was like, go on, Luke. So yeah, the, I'm I'm probably I'm pro- I'm probably going to be. By the way, this is just me putting my IR hat on for a second. People I know and respect, and are in a position to know whereof they speak, do say about Ben Wallace that the MOD hasn't been this well run in terms of just getting the trains to run on time for donkey's years. So, so to go from... Be, so it might be quite an efficient government, if nothing else. And, and to be fair, like, efficiency might... Yeah. ...might mitigate against some of the issues you raise, because if you've got somebody who's a good manager and can actually just leave people to do stuff themselves, that can that can, can mitigate against them not actually having clear ideas of their own, in theory. Yeah. To give a motivated reasoning to unmotivated reasoning, I kind of agree with Ben Wallace. Um, clearly, Boris Johnson does not want Mishi Sunak to succeed him. Clearly, people who hate Boris Johnson do not want Liz Trust to succeed him. The obvious thing to do is to try and find somebody that the people who hate Boris Johnson like and that Boris Johnson also likes. Um, the Venn diagram of that is a circle that is Ben Wallace's bet bald head. Um, you know, he's not just an ally of Boris Johnson, by all accounts, he's a friend, a crony. Um, Yes, he's on the left of the party, but he's a soldier, secured a, a hawk, so it, that kind of confuses people. The stuff on Ukraine, whatever you think of it, and yeah, I think people all know how what an isolationist goon I am. You know, it does warm, tickle the tummies of of uh, Tory Brexiteers because we are in the winning the breakup phase of Brexit. And he's actually got one over on Brussels, Paris, and uh, Berlin. Um, I think as well, he might be starting to get a favourable wind in terms of the stories coming out of Europe. Because one of the things that people may not have seen is the Germans are freaking the fuck out over what's happening to their gas supplies. Like, I think it's the Prime Minister, I want to say Saxony, came out today. Yeah, the President of Saxony. And said that it's time to have a ceasefire and open negotiations with the Russian with the Russians. That what's happening with gas wholesale prices is the end of the German economic model if it's allowed to continue. Um, and if you look, I did, I I did the stats. I did stats, guys. Let me get these stats up for you quickly. Because. One of the things I don't think people realise is since 1868, which of course is where modern British politics began um, after the Second uh, the Second Reform Act, we have had. Yeah, if anybody, if anybody doesn't know, Will will die on that hill. Yes. Yeah. Um, now we've had many, many um, ch- internal changes. These are the positions um, that people have had before they became prime minister. And like this, these are like they had to have it as they became prime minister. So we've had four people who were foreign secretary as they became prime minister. We've had one person who's home secretary, which is obviously Theresa May. We've had six people who were chancellor. We've had two people who were quote unquote deputy prime minister, 
So that's um, Arthur Balfour, when he was leader of the House of Commons, slash Chief Secretary of Ireland, when that was quite a heavy thing to deal with. And he succeeded his uncle, who's obviously the leader of the Tory party in the com- in the in the Lords. You and then you had uh, Stanley Baldwin, who replaced uh, Ramsay MacDonald, having I think been Lord Privy Seal during the early phase of the national government. You then have Bonner, Andrew Bonner Law, who had no position but had quite recently been Chancellor slash Deputy Prime Minister. Um, and then obviously you have Boris Johnson, who had recently been Foreign Secretary. So to go beyond the great offices of state or somebody who had recently held a great office of state or had you know, been a very, very powerful Ooh. deputy prime minister, you, although we should actually say with, with uh, I forgot to say with Arthur Balfour, he was also first Lord of the Treasury because this was when, uh, this was when uh, Lord Salisbury was foreign secretary. And so he didn't, he wasn't first Lord of the Treasury. He gave that to somebody else. Um, so you have two, you've got two people who have came from a non-great office of state or deputy prime minister role or for, had recently held one of those roles before returning to the backbenches and became prime minister. One is Lloyd George, who was minister of munitions, minister for munitions even, um, but just before he became prime minister. The other is Winston Churchill, who was first lord of the admiralty. And I think... If we have another few weeks of things being quite bad for the, for the Ukrainians and us quite clearly being their champions, their, their kind of rear guard, you're going to see some real momentum behind Ben Wallace. And if you do get one of the fruitcakes uh, as the second person against Ben Wallace... I, I could see Johnson saying, you know, for the good of Zelensky, Zelensky, it is your duty to step aside and let Ben Wallace become prime minister. So as prime minister, he can actually make sure the Europeans and the Americans don't go wobbly. And I really, really hate this timeline. <laughs> I was having so much fun until I realised this yesterday. Until I realised this yesterday. <laughs> me and me and me and Will are on the same side. I'm scared too, kids. It's, it's happening an awful lot at the moment. Yeah, it is. It's weird. <laughs> your horse, Simon. So, so, like your your analysis that leads to Ben Wallace is the is the analysis that doesn't make me want to buy tinned goods. Mine is a tin. Mine is a. Oh, oh no, of course tin. not. Because you, what good is tinned goods if we all die in a nuclear holocaust? Yeah, exactly. Um, so, let me talk to you about Suella Braverman. <laughs> oh my God, we didn't talk about this. No, because oh and let me tell you why I've just why so. Really, in something very interesting, something moderately interesting has just happened. Um, Steve Baker, Baker, the the you know the hard the hardest of the hard ERGers, has just said he is not going to run and he is backing Suella Braverman. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh God, we've broken Will. Excellent. Finally, now. What I'm so, so there, there, there is a scenario in which 
Suella Braverman makes it to the last two because, you know, particularly if Ben Wallet, you know, because remain leave will be a thing in this campaign. And if she can become the I love Brexit per candidate, which is clearly what Steve Baker would like her to, is, is pushing her to be, she can make the final two. And if she makes, you know, if she makes it to the final two, if the Conservative Party is still obsessed with Brexit, they could go for the Brexit candidate. I don't think they are obsessed with Brexit. Like as I said, like Theresa May was more popular than Boris Johnson immediately after the referendum. I also think with sort of a brave man, the problem she has is if if she get if she gets anywhere near, Boris Johnson will try and squash her. But if Boris Boris Johnson is not popular, in some, you know we all know that Boris Johnson is not no. uh, liked in the Conservative Party. The question is how many Conservative members would would listen to Boris Johnson now? Well, I have to think the people who think Swerla Braverman should be Prime Minister overlap with the people who thought Boris Johnson should have remained as Prime Minister. Because they're clearly... They are clearly uh, uh, bored of... Of of watering down the bleach they drink every morning, and then just taking it neat on the rocks. I am, um, you know, I am giving you, you know, I'm just giving you the. Uh, can I also just because um, I can I also your... just make a serious pick? Oh no, absolutely not. I I I, I don't know. I mean, Ben Wallace. Uh, I mean, my serious pick is probably Penny Morton, just because. I can. You go, Simon. She's, I mean, she's Brex, she's Brexity. She's got, she's got that kind of military thing. But I mean, she hasn't resigned. She didn't resign, which might speak to. I, 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 I just heard Luke vomit out his soul. <laughs> Do you think Penny Mordaunt represents the best of the British fighting person, Luke? <laughs> she couldn't even win Splash. This is this is true. This is true. I, I, don't, I, I don't actually. I don't know why you think I'd vomit out myself. I don't actually have anything particularly for or against. I definitely heard a frisson there. I'm um, coming through the microphone. I, I. So can can I? This is not to. I'm no, sorry, I'm, sorry, so can I just can I just say something with any more on? I think she's massively overpriced. I, I, I got and agreed the idea about why she is a smart pick. But again, I gave you the, the positions people had before they became yeah. prime minister. She's not even in the cabinet. Like, it's no. not going to happen. And I think she played the last month badly because she's, she's going to get naffle credit for not resigning. Because she quite clearly, she made it very clear that she hates Boris Johnson, um, um, and and you know and Boris Johnson clearly hates her because he kept them he kept the moat in her, yeah. and then by not resigning after like clearly you know by all accounts very seriously considering it before the previous VRNC, I, I, I think she's a bit of a joke. I, it, I I've said this to you, Luke. She really reminds me of David Davis in twenty. 20- in 2001, where she yeah. has done a too cute by half um, positioning, and she's 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 done these weird moves to kind of get herself into the perfect into the perfect position, but actually, 
you become leader by being important. You become leader by being on the front bench. You become leader by either being clearly associated with the people who thought the old leader was bad or clearly associated with the people who thought the old leader was good. Um, yeah, I, I, I think she, she's going to be a big flop. Um, um, and it's one of those... Bit smart... like on Slack. <laughs> Do we have any final thoughts on the Tory leadership? Um, before Simon does his I told you so dance about Elon Musk. That is exactly what I was going to do. I knew. Uh, I can see you. I can see you getting ready. Yeah. The one thing I would say, and we talked about it before, we have to remember we don't actually know the rules. The, 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 this leadership election is going to be fought under. Um, it, it, no, the Tory party is not the Labour party. It is not that bureaucratic. It is not that law-focused. Um the 1922 committee can do whatever the fuck it wants for the leadership election rules. Um, it No, I think you get a very different leadership election um, depending on how expedited it is, depending on what nomination thresholds look like. And of course, um, if they go to the membership. Uh, my, my gut is more and more, as more and more people declare they will feel compelled to at least keep open the possibility of it going to the membership and then we'll see how it plays out. But look, you know, the one thing I would say actually is we, the past two Tory leadership elections has basically seen roughly two thirds of the Tory party um, back one candidate, the parliamentary party back one candidate. Has to be remembered that did, that did not happen in the first two contested leadership elections under these rules. Um, you know, in 2001, the parliamentary party basically divided into three equal thirds. Um, in 2005, Cameron was clearly ahead, I think, on like about 40, 45%. And then you had David Davis and Liam Fox, who were roughly on like 30%, 25% each. And so actually, if you do get that sort of race where, where we go into the final round and there's actually quite a, a, a no, the, 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 the front runner isn't that far ahead. So there's actually quite a lot of votes up for grabs for second and third. Who actually comes second becomes quite important. Like for all of the mistakes he had made, in the Tory leadership election of 2001, I can't imagine Michael Botillo wouldn't have beaten Ken Clark. Um, and he was only, he was only, I think, was it one MP away from coming second? Yeah. It, it was really, really close, yeah. I mean, the rumour is that was Ian Duncan Smith supporters getting a bit too Larry and lending Ken Clark too many supporters. Um, to, to ensure that they face Ken Clark rather than Portello. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I do think it's going to be very unpredictable. But as I said, I, I fear Ben Wallace. Do you, do you have any final thoughts, Luke, before we get I told you so by, by Simon? Well, actually, before you get on to Simon's I told you so, I just want to read a tweet that has come in from Brett Taylor, who is a member of Twitter's board of directors. Go on. I just read you the following: the Twitter board is committed to is committed to closing the transaction on the price and terms agreed upon with Mr. Musk. 
and plans to pursue legal action to enforce the merger agreement. We are confident we will prevail in the Delaware Court of Chancery. So we should explain this. So, like, basically, Elon Musk over-offered for Twitter, assuming that the board would hate his guts so much they'd reject it. They took the look at the offer he had made. Their eyes popped out like the the dog in the uh, Looney Tunes uh, films. And they they then said, we solemnly accept your deal. At which point Elon Musk went, oh, fuck. And then, to make things worse, because of Tesla's uh, plunging stock value, Elon Musk is worth a lot less money than he once was. So, Simon, you set the stage. The band is playing. Your I told you so dance begins. Yeah, it, to, to misquote the highs, I am pleased to say I told you so. Because basically, very soon after Elon Musk's I'm going to buy Twitter thing, I went, well, ladies and gentlemen, I'll have uh, something that's not going to happen for 10,000 points, please. <laughs> it's always struck me as, firstly, I think Elon Musk is just one of the most irritating human beings alive. Um, and I, he just he just has strong fuck around and find out energy. And this had really strong fuck around vibes. Uh, there you go, there goes our family friendly rating right at the end. Um and I just I just went, yeah, this is this is this is him, this is him kind of a mixture of both shit posting and getting himself a bit of sort of positive PR. Well, not positive, you know, but you know, getting himself in the news for something else. You know, this is a guy who just has more money than he knows what to do with. This is this is not serious. This is never going. And there were lots of people wailing and going, it's going to destroy Twitter. And I know, you know, I'm a huge fan of Twitter. I like it. It's, it's where a lot of my friends happen. It's where a lot of my, but, but, you know, a number of my friends. It's where I do quite a bit of sort of socialising, social media terms. Obviously, most significantly, I met uh, my girlfriend, Rachel, on the platform. You know, really important, really, you know, it's important in my life. I didn't want it taken over by this buffoon, but quite quickly I realized I, I just didn't, it never felt likely to happen. And it looks like it now isn't going to happen. Obviously, if he gets dragged through the courts by Twitter's board for the foreseeable future, that is, and I, I say this, you know, with experts having, you know, experienced a lot of it over the years, one of the funniest things that could ever happen. I think I think Marie Leconte cap- captures your perspective well. I really Elton does. Where we are. I really don't want Elon. Oh, by the way, I'm so looking forward to her book about the internet. Oh, me too. Partly because there's apparently a mention of Jordan Pickford in it, so it's possible it's by me. Um, I am a bit concerned. It's going to be one of these things where somebody, because she's she's a fair bit younger. It's going to be one of these things where somebody, somebody in uh, who's just turned thirty think their generation created the internet where it's like no that, that I was I was on like e- email chains in the, in in the 90s and the early noughties yes but she's got a lot of fr- like you know we have sort of friends in common and stuff but she's got friends she's got quite a few friends who are who are sort of 10 years older than her yeah 
So I don't, she's up, she doesn't just live in a bubble of someone born in the early 90s. No, no, that's fine. Because I, mean, I just know with, with wrestling, you get so many people who say, people don't understand, you know, the Monday Night Wars have happened with the internet. Um, these wrestlers wouldn't have been so popular. And it's like, how long ago do you think 1999 was? We did have the internet then. Mm. Um, but no, but this, this tweet was, um, I really didn't want Elon to buy us. But in the spirit of the website, now I know he doesn't want to anymore. I dearly hope he's stuck with us forever. Yep. No, I, I think I'm, 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 I'm yeah. Uh, it's, it's, she's absolute, yeah. Because that's, the, it is the weird thing. Twitter is, is it the only website in, in, on the internet where most of its most dedicated users give, give up a pretense of actually deeply resenting being there? Yes, I, I don't. I, I, I am open with my addiction as I am in yeah. with so, so many other aspects. Well, no, exactly. Me too. But it, it, there is there is a strong vibe. Oh, God, this cursed but I, website. But I, think, I know Ivy, like, not to not get too sidetracked. So I do want to ask Luke a question about another topic before we go. But um, is this podcast ever going to finish? I really, I really need to pay. <laughs> soon, Luke. Soon. Sorry, Luke. But, like, I think the people who get really grumpy about Twitter or the people who think they can use it to make a difference. And I briefly acquired this infection and it's like the one time this, no, Twitter actually made me unhappy and, and, and like had that negative impact on my mental health. But actually, if you, if you treat it as one big message, message board where you interact with people you like you sometimes get into arguments with people you don't like and you just kind of have fun and just shoot the shit. It's great. You know, obviously, you know, you know block early, block often. Um, I, I, I made a mistake of saying something about a wrestling promo on, I want to say it was Tuesday night I said this. It was Tuesday night because I was meant to be writing my article um, when I was getting into arguments with random people on Twitter. And, well, no, I was having quite a lot of fun just making fun of people arguing with me. Woke up the next day, and, like, honestly, I must have had, like, 30 notifications. I know they're not, that's not many by your standards, Simon. Oh, no, no, that's still quite a lot. That would still be a reasonable, that would be quite a big morning for me. Um, and, like, like, look, I got ratio to oblivion. Like, I think it was, like... Seven likes and fifty-eight quote tweets. Ooh! And you know what I did? I took the coward's way out and I mooted that fucker. Oh it's god! Like, absolutely, it's the only. It's the only. It's the only way to deal with a tweet that's doing anything is to just quietly just mute it and let them scream into either. Right, because we want to, you know, get yes. to the end of this. Luke, Luke. I pack right. Luke. Yes. Shinzo Arby. A-B. Arby Shinzo, actually, if you're going to pronounce Ar- Okay. What what happened? Who is he? Why is he important? The former Prime Minister of Japan has been assassinated. He's been one of the... It was one of the longest-serving Prime Ministers... No, the, longest, yeah. the longest. The longest. The longest-serving Prime Minister in Japanese history. Uh... We should say that's not that long. Yeah, has yeah, has sort of and and frankly, 
you know, his ideas still dominate the political discourse in Japan um, in terms of a very, very interventionist uh, fiscal policy and a very loose monetary policy. But I think more importantly, he's been at the forefront of trying to loosen or um, eliminate the kind of constraints that were put on Japanese foreign and defence policy at the end of World War Two. So he wanted to change, ideally wanted to change the sort of pacifist um, clauses in the Japanese constitution. We don't know whether that has anything to do with the motivations behind his assassination. Um, Japan has <coughs> Japan has very little in the way of gun violence. Um, so yeah, this is a real shock. I am. Um... Yeah. I I I think one of the interesting, just to add to what you said, Luke, one of his actual really interesting legacies is um, his success increasing uh, Japanese women's participation in the labor force and also his opening up of Japan to immigration. Because basically, one, like, obviously, I did this article for TM saying, the one, no, you can't, no, you, you're not really, the dangers of inflation. But the problem Japan had, because it was losing population, not its population growth slowing, it was losing people. Um, it was actually struggling from quite bad deflation because people knew the market was going to be smaller the following year. And he was basically trying to shake Japan out of its doldrums. He didn't go quite as far with the economic side stuff, the demand side stuff, as um, he once promised. But actually, by increasing Japan's willingness to take immigrants, by increasing Japan's willingness to, you know, be a half-decent place for women to work, um, that does seem to have made some impact. And I think I think Noah Smith, who's a bit of a weeb, um, but I think Noah Smith made it, um, put it right. You know, the thing that, right-wing populists can learn from uh, Shinzo Abe is, you know, how about you try and actually answer the problems that your country is facing? Like, there is no rule that just because you're a populist or you're a nationalist, that you have to be a complete dingbat who just talks in cliches and implements gimmicks. Um, any, any thoughts on, uh, on uh, Japanese politics, Simon? Yeah, I mean... I don't have a huge amount to say about Abe's legacy. Um, there is obviously the controversy around his um, comments around, you know, the Japanese um, behaviour during World War II, um, and and I'm not I'm not gonna I know it's been controversial, but I'm not I don't know enough about it to get more into it than that. Um, he he is clearly hugely significant. He has genuinely shifted the balance of power in East Asia. I think. Um, you know, he, he, he served for a very long time when Japanese prime ministers, I mean, this is the thing, he served in total for, I think, nine years. And that's by far, you know, by far the longest um, rule of a Japanese prime minister in modern times and the longest in, in the history of Japan. Um, because Japanese prime ministers are, it, the Japanese prime minister is a slightly strange job. It's not not half as powerful as the British one in some ways. You know, Japanese, the, the Japanese prime minister is basically the pre berlusconi Italian prime Japanese Japanese politics is basically pre Berlusconi Italian politics, but it works. 
in a sense of you have this one dominant party, which was in Italy pre-92, 93, was the Christian Democrats. In Japan, it's the Liberal Democrats. And, and they, they just win almost all the elections. Like, you know, you might get uh, the opposition party in for a brief period, but like not for anything more than a year or two. But because it's so dominant, it is completely riven with factionalism to the point where it's barely what people in more competitive party democracies would recognise as a party as a political party. You know, it, you know, it has its chieftains, it has its power blocks, and so normally, what what a Japanese prime minister is left to do, like Italian prime ministers before the early nineties, is just kind of balance the competing interests of the various power brokers who actually hold the power within their party. And what Abe did was actually to feel more like the protagonists of Japanese politics in a way that Japanese prime ministers don't usually. Sorry, carry yeah, on. Certainly don't at the moment. But I, I am almost more... I, I obviously, you know, a man has been had been murdered, killed in a brutal it, with a, with a gun that the, um, that his, his killer made himself uh, is is the is the story I read because it is staggeringly difficult to get uh, guns in Japan. You often have to have background interviews with you know friends and family just to just to be able to buy a gun. You know, it's the opposite of the United States in that way. I worry about what this combined with their attitude toward COVID is going to do to the Japanese national psyche, because they're already kind of, they've they've been very sort of, we want to close ourselves off from COVID, you know, from foreign travel because of COVID. Um, And they pride themselves on being an incredibly safe uh, country. When when Will says they don't have many... um, much gun crime he's absolutely right on average they have fewer than 10 shootings a year you know the urine situation where a significant fraction of the entire gun shooting of a country with 125 million people is going to be a former prime minister i mean it really is incredibly rare this is this is probably going to do i think this is this could very well shake japanese society quite significantly at a time when it already feels like they are you know turning inward because of um, COVID and those sort of restrictions. I, I genuinely, I don't have any predictions as to how what, how this will manifest, but I do really worry about the, about what this is going to mean for the future of Japanese society. I, I don't know. As you know, I'll let, I'll, I'll let Luke come in first because Luke will know more than me about well, actually, this. Guys, this is an interesting discussion. But can we either can we either pause the podcast or wrap up because I'm about to wet myself here. You do realise like, that's not being edited. Pardon? You could have used a euphemism, man. I need uh, it's it's a point at which I need to communicate clearly what is going on. <laughs> like Tommy Lassels. As on that note, <laughs> before Luke dissolved, Luke's bowels call for an immediate dissolution. Um, <laughs> we've been talking about many things. Um, I've been all calling, even Simon Alvey. And Luke is leaving quickly. Bye. Bye, Bye. Bye, everybody.